VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Tuesday, November the 14th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's produced the program. Let's get the week off to a flying start. That requires your participation live on the air. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 86. 26. Well, the winter temps slid in pretty quickly once the clocks fell back. Of course, pretty nice day here today. When the wind is down, I can handle these around zero temperatures. Looks like the wind, the weather didn't keep people away from attending Remembrance Day ceremonies over the course of the weekend. Lots of good participation as to so far the uh, social media posts and pictures that I saw. So good on you. All right, a couple of quick notes to ease into it here. Newfoundland Growlers over the weekend. I'll call it an undisciplined weekend. One Friday night, but late goals Thursday and then Sunday against the visiting Worcester Raiders, so they dropped two out of three. I mean, it's all the late penalties, and I'll, as we all know, getting scored upon late in the period is always going to be a death knell for many teams during many games, and a brilliant achievement by uh, Tennis Canada. So, you know, we know that on the men's side, we are currently the Davis Cup champions, the international tournament, and now on the uh, hands of Leila Fernandez, straight set victory over the Italian player, now we are also Billie Jean King Cup champions. Wow, first time ever for Canada on both sides. So we're the holder of the international trophies on both the men's and the women's side. It's fantastic stuff. All right, uh, congratulations to Mark Keeley, baseball Newfoundland Labrador. He does a lot of big work inside the world of baseball, certainly on the female side, well known for his efforts and achievements as a player himself. But Mark's been awarded Baseball Canada's Lionel Roar Elite Coach of the Year Award. So, in, uh, pardon me, national recognition for Mark Keeley and his work with minor baseball over the course of the year and over the course of a number of years. So congratulations to Mark. And a couple of shout-outs to some Cornerbrook natives. It's always a big thrill if you're playing high school sports and you get the opportunity to play at a university level. And it's even, I think, probably more exciting if you get a scholarship with it and maybe get to play on the mainland against players you've never, probably never seen before and in a different league that you haven't participated in, such is the case for Sylvie Lemoyne. She's the captain of the... Uh, the Quad A women's volleyball team at the Cornerbrook Regional High. She's got a scholarship and an offer to play varsity ball at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay after she graduates, playing for the Thunder Wolves. She's a blocker, which means in the middle of the court. Pardon me, we'll call it a middle. So congratulations to Sylvie. Big thrill to get to play at that level. Another Cornerbrook native, this lady named Kathy, Kathy Matthews Kane. She began, as it says in the story, began her golf career in Cornerbrook. She's been elected the president of the Colorado PGA. So that will serve as a uh, Utah, Wyoming, and Colorado. In the United States, the PGA of America is a big, big deal, and to be the president of an organization like that is very prestigious. So congratulations to Kathy. She was a three-time academic All-American, four-time uh, varsity letter winner, and captain of the women's golf team at the University of Iowa. I didn't even know this. She received a number of accolades over the year. She was once named top 25 assistant professionals by Golf World magazine. Of course, in the PGA of America owns and operates a bunch of big events, including the PGA Championship and, of course, the Ryder Cup. Congratulations to Kathy Matthews Kane, pretty great stuff. All right, sticking with Cornerbrook. So an interesting press event last week. And you know, when you see the picture of the completion of the first phase of the healthcare complex for Western Region Memorial Hospital, it's kind of funny. Now, 
good that the work is being done. It's still a long, long way from being fully open to serve the public out there. Recruitment efforts, of course, continue to staff up for the new hospital. But even the big key that was on display says Western Memorial Regional Hospital, substantial completion. So we're celebrating a substantial completion of the first phase of that particular hospital. And of course, just mentioned recruitment and retention. It's probably never going to go away. It's been a very difficult task. We know that every province is facing very similar circumstances with trying to attract healthcare professionals to their province. We don't really know what the consensus was amongst the province's premiers when they met in Halifax there last week or the week before about exactly that. How provinces will be either passively or aggressively trying to poach or recruit healthcare pros from province to province. I'd like to figure that out a little bit more. But I'm not sure what kind of attention this particular issue got on the show last Friday while I was away, and thanks to Linda for sitting in. It certainly has captured a lot of attention on social media in particular. And of course, unfortunately, what happens here is we'll have to talk about what has been understood and alleged, and it comes with naming a community. In this case, it's Lewisport. So the allegations are pretty clear here. So there's a doctor named Gergis Ambarak. He and his wife are both family physicians and operate a clinic with a 5,000 patient roster. So Dr. Ambarak, he has gone to the media after posting on Facebook to talk about what has been relentless bullying uh, afforded to his daughter. She's of course attending the Lewisport Intermediate School. There's a lot to this story. So, number one, and this is not simply about this particular incident, but we know, and we've been told many, many times, that bullying will be happening in school, and sometimes bullying isn't going far enough to label what's actually happening, because physical acts of violence isn't bullying, it's a crime. So, when administrators and teachers know what's happening, the question will be, what are they doing about it? Because far too often we focus in on the victim and move that person around, or try to shield them from their bully, which of course does nothing to stop it. So Dr. Embarrick says that the teachers knew about this all the way through. He further alleges that it's racially motivated, and it came to a head last Thursday when there was an allegation of a physical assault, a charge has been laid and the investigation continues. And Dr. Embarrick says it's racially motivated. They, you know, attached to his Facebook post was a text that he received with a threat of violence and an absolute distinct uh, racist overtone. You know, where do you even go? I'm really struggling for how to really approach this. Okay, one thing is that it's a sad portion of the story that it's captured the attention of the general public because we're talking about a doctor and the consideration that Dr. Embarek and his wife and his family are having right now, taking a week off to decide whether or not they're going to stay in the town of Lewisport. You know, it shouldn't take a high-profile member of, this, of the community, like a doctor, for these stories to be discussed understood and to try to quell what is absolutely, whether it be casual racism or overt uh, acts of racist behavior and commentary, but this is a really sad story. So now I'm sure that the tensions inside Lewisport are very real because the town gets the focus when in fact we don't know how many people are involved. We don't know exactly what went on here. We'll probably find out a little bit more because the rumor mill will happen. Whether or not the person who's been charged is a minor and the father was interviewed, which was Interesting. He says it's not racially motivated. Things simply got out of hand, and his daughter will have to face the consequences for her action and this particular charge. But then there's people who are jumping straight to defending the indefensible. We've got a moniker that we use, and we describe ourselves as extremely friendly, welcoming people. It's time we act like it. 
there is no way I'm trying to assert that Lewisport is a racist community or any other community because the unfortunate reality is it just so happens to be an incident that happened in Lewisport. So Mayor Krista Freak has uh, reached out and the support afforded to the Ambaric family, then the Premier and a bunch of other organizations, Newfoundland Labrador Health Services, the Newfoundland Labrador Medical Association, the Newfoundland Labrador College of Physicians, all released statements on the matter. And they go on to say, you know, racist actions, behavior, and commentary do not belong in the healthcare setting. Let's go a step further. And as you're crafting your email to tell me to knock off the virtue signaling, it's just bad for society, right? So if we're going to say that we're the friendliest people on the face of the earth, let's act like it. So what exactly has gone on here? Obviously, with what we understand at this moment in time, is dreadful. Further complicates it is, let's just say, you know, the effort to recruit nurses and doctors internationally. What happens if the barracks leave Lewisport? What happens with other doctors who are considering moving to the province, and this gentleman here and his family, they move specifically to uh, Lewisport to try to help. He describes the hours that they work and the weekends that they work to try to deal with the backlog and the wait times. And now this. So it's a dreadful story. You know, and all the allegations, I only know as much as the rest of you know, but the issue regarding protecting apparently some well-known family in the community, that's going to get away from us. The rumor mill will absolutely, I've heard names already, I'm not going to mention any of them because I have no earthly idea if these are the families involved. Furthermore, you know, it's the whole thing of nature versus nurture. Children are born inherently innocent. So when it may be because of the comments that they hear inside their own home or inside their social circles and that the mob mentality and peer pressure creeps in and then all of a sudden we've got someone who would have been an absolutely welcoming friend to this young girl in her new newfound school versus maybe what she hears at home because most of it starts at home or what they hear inside their own uh, social circles, then this stuff happens. And you know, last message, message on this, and if you want to talk about it, we can do it. And it's not virtual signaling, it's talking about being reasonable, caring, compassionate, empathetic, kind, generous individuals like we want to say we are. And apparently in some corners, we're not. Nothing's going to be eradicated here. It won't go away in one fell swoop. And again, it's a shame that it takes something like this and a high-profile member of the community like a doctor and his doctor wife and his family to even have these conversations. But it happens, and we should call it out. And message to students in schools province-wide, the numbers of people who are willing and wanting to be a bully, whether it be based on racism or anything else under the sun, they're the minority. You want your school to be happier, healthier, safer place to be? Join forces and push back. Take over your school. Right? The louder voices and the popular kids who really want their school to be that safe place for them and their, uh, their friends and their classmates, you are the majority. Take back your school. You want to talk about that issue? We can do it, but on every front imaginable, it's a terrible story. Uh, quick sip of coffee. We're back. It's a difficult story, but let's take it on. Sticking with doctors and healthcare professionals, I've brought this up many times in the program, but now there's been a very bright light shone on it by Dr. Aaron McKim. He's a family doctor and the province's health authority's chief of medical assistance in dying. Made. There's only a handful of doctors and nurse practitioners who are involved in this. We are well below the national average in the number of requests for medical assistance in dying. In this province, about 1.5% of province's deaths in 2022 were doctor-assisted. National average is about 4.1%. Here's where the numbers have grown. There were 16 requests in 2019, 
jumped to 107 in 2022, and in the note, uh, briefing note offered by Dr. McKim, 37 requests in the first quarter of 2023. Seven medical professionals said 75% of the primary assessments for all the requests in the region between 16 and 20, 2016 and 2021. Eight people did 76% of those primary assessments in 2022, and he goes on to say that last year they hit the wall. Some of these healthcare providers were coming to Dr. McKim and saying, I cannot do this for what I need to take a break. So whether we talk about the pay model associated with medical assistance in dying through the first, set, uh, first stage of assessment and then the second stage, where apparently they're doing the bulk of the work basically for free, and then in the bigger picture nationwide, the way that it was constructed for people who have absolutely no hope and the pain will be intolerable for them and their family, there is no real glimmer of hope for their long-term survival, and the pain will be amping up to a, a point where it's, anyway, the problem here is that it's now being used as a tool as opposed to the last-ditch effort to find some solace and relief. We know we've heard uh, members of the Canadian Armed Forces offered made right out, of the, right out of the gate. You know, they're struggling and suffering. We've heard from people in Manitoba who simply needed some additional supports to be able to live at home reasonably and safely, and they're offered medical assistance in dying. Then add to it the fact that very soon we're going to be talking about people where their only ailment is their mental illness, and they're going to be able to be assessed for medical assistance in dying. The changes are happening. The way it was intended from the onset is not working. It's being overused, and something has to be done about it. So if you're still keen on talking about this issue, reach out to your member of parliament. It's time to turn this back a little bit. For those who absolutely it is their last option, and through discussions with their family and their doctor or nurse practitioner, fair enough. But the way it's being so freely offered as a go-to solution for one person's ills or ailments is probably not the way it's supposed to work, but that issue and for the folks who are working in it, they've hit the wall, even though we're well below the national average. Anyway, you want to take it on. Let's go. All right, changing tune a little bit. So announced last Thursday, and this was always coming, you know, based on legislation, there's going to be around every three years a general rate application coming from Newfoundland Power. This one says a 1.5% increase to our bills effective the 1st of July, followed by another 5.5% increase the following July. It applies to everybody, residential and commercial customers. So the province's consumer advocate, Dennis Brown, says he thinks that this is simply about increasing the rate of return for Newfoundland Power. Newfoundland Power says the exact opposite. This will be for maintaining and improving infrastructure. Counter to that, Mr. Brown says that we've overbuilt our infrastructure. Now, I don't think that's in line with what happened back in dark NL days, but he goes on to say, over the last 20 years, ratepayers have paid approximately $1.5 billion for infrastructure and adds to the fact that some people say we've overbuilt. Ratepayers are already paying for all the infrastructure at a rate of in excess of $100 million per year. They have all of that. We paid for that. And of course, it kind of contrasts what Newfoundland Power says. They say they've cut operating costs per customer by almost 10%. There hasn't been a significant rate hike in a number of years. But we'll see how the PUB comes down on it. But Mr. Brown doing what his job is, is to ensure that all rate applications are giving, given a very careful examination by the PUB and Mr. Brown himself. So you wonder what this translates to because we haven't even factored in the full implications of Muskrat Falls. So for businesses and homeowners who are teetering 
you know, whether it be someone to mention in a news story at a bakery and the whopping big electric bills that that, uh, that business owner has. And people are just, you know, squinting as they open their mailbox to see their bill. So for businesses like restaurants, for instance, these rate impacts are going to be very, very real. And what the PUB comes down on, where the PUB comes down on this particular assessment and this general rate application for these two hikes, we'll see. Add into it, Newfoundland Labrador Hydro, be interesting to know where they are in their evaluation of all the work done by Hatch Engineering, Hatch Consulting, and the provision of additional power supply to keep up with demand. Whether you want to incorporate that with general demand increase or these wind projects, there's a lot of work yet to be fully understood there. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? I wanted to get through another couple, but we want to talk a little bit more about the poverty reduction strategy. It looks like it's a very good thing and attended to a lot of different areas. The concern in some corners for some advocates will be the threshold, the cutoff for who actually is qualifying for any of these things. Like, who is poor? What does poverty mean? The province uses one measure called a market, uh, pardon me, let's see if I can get this properly, a market ba- basket measure, where people like Anira Aylward at the Jimmy Pratt Foundation, they use what they call a low-income measure to see who is actually at or near the poverty line. So, according to Stats Canada, market-based, market basket pressure families of four making less than $50,931 in St. John's and less than 48500 rural areas are falling below the poverty line. The current cutoff, the threshold here for accessing the child benefit and the child nutrition supplement is much less than that. So it says, and of course all of these eligibility issues are income tested, income around $27 or less are the only ones who can access these benefits. So fair questions being asked, because at $50,000 for a family four, you're right around or below the poverty level, but at $27,000, you know, it, it will capture a number of families and a number of additional children for these benefits, which are going to be extremely helpful. But the cutoff at 25736 Then the clawbacks begin if that family's income is above 17397 Full benefits only begin if the income is less than $17,397. So it will capture some 14,000 children, but a ton of folks and a ton of families that are outside of that threshold for eligibility... They're at the poverty level. So is there a need to, in addition to increasing the child benefit by 300% and the child nutrition supplement from one year of age to five years of age, all very helpful measures because we've seen what these monies can mean, whether it be federal dollars or provincial dollars, but is it time? Given the cost of living and the pressures of inflation and the reality of the cost that we all see and everything we touch is just almost prohibitive and out of hand, do we need to adjust that threshold measure? Your input is welcomed. All right. We can also add to it. Today is the last day for Judy Foote as the province's lieutenant governor, Joe Marie Aylward, will be sworn in. You know, the discussion about the monarchy's role in the province and in the country, I think, is an interesting one. I'm surprised since the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, there has been more attention given to it. Now, there's lots of monarchists amongst us, and listen to the program this morning. They see the merit and the requirement for a continued presence of the British monarchy in our politics and in our society. Your thoughts? Bring them to the show. We're on Twitter. For VOCM Open Line, follow us there. Email address is openlineatvocm.com. Mark's going to kick it off. He's in the queue to talk about cybersecurity. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's begin on line number two. Good morning, Mark. You're on the air. Hey, Paddy. How are you? Doing okay. Thanks. How about you? I'm good. Thanks. So I'm just uh, giving you a quick call here to make your listeners aware that uh, a couple of my friends the weekend fell victim to a scam on Facebook. So basically, this is related to the uh, Taylor Swift tickets, the Euros tour that she's doing. 
So basically what the scammers are doing is they're probably hacking into a friend that's on your Facebook. Uh, the account obviously looks legitimate. And when you talk to them, uh, it's almost like it's the person that you're friend with on Facebook. So basically uh, what they're doing then is they're saying, okay, what, you send me the money for the tickets. These are It shows you where the tickets are to in the stadium. And basically, uh, they say that, do you have a Ticketmaster account? We'll transfer the tickets to you over through Ticketmaster. You just got to send me an e-transfer. So basically, they're offering, like, for four tickets, I think they're saying it's $400 a ticket or $600 a ticket, whatever. You know, so all the kids are going crazy for the uh, Taylor Swift tickets. So I do know a couple people who fell victim of that the weekend. And as of this morning, I can still see people uh, sharing these tickets for sale, scammers hacking into different Facebook accounts. So I don't know. I just want to reach out to people, and even if it reaches one person to not pay this, these scammers, I guess, uh, you know, that will be a benefit. But I just want to let everybody know that this Facebook scam is on the go and to be very, very careful and very diligent of who you send e-transfer money to. No question. I mean, it's just becoming extremely difficult to discern if something's real or not. And, you know, when you have someone who's a big fan of whatever it is, to go see Taylor Swift or anything else or any other uh, event or concert or game, and you want to put the sold out and you can't get a ticket and then you see one dangled and you're like, I'm taking it. But then, of course, the likelihood of it being a scam is probably more than it is of it being real. So I totally get the warning. I think it's a helpful reminder. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to get it out there because I know as of this morning, I'm still seeing it and I'm still seeing so many people commenting on that, that fate, that share, I guess, of the tickets for sale saying, I message you, I message you, message saying it. So I'm just, I'm hopeful that people are not, uh, I'm sure they probably are sending money, but I'm just, I want to get it out there that do not send money unless you absolutely know this person because you will fall victim of losing probably a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, it's a fair warning. Far be it for me to tell people what to do with their own money, but it's yeah. all bad enough on the formal ticket resale sites as to whether or not you're actually going to get a legitimate uh, ticket to whatever it is, a Taylor Swift concert or otherwise, but yeah. buying it from a site like Facebook with someone who may or may not be one of your recognized friends is a real risky uh, thing to try to do. So I would suggest ticket resale, I'd be very, very wary, regardless of what we're talking about or regardless of what site we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So I just wanted to just get that out there, like, just, just so that people are made aware that this is an actual Facebook scam that's on the go. It looks absolutely legitimate as can be because um, your friend might have, like, 800 friends. You know, they're sharing normal, everyday stuff. And at the end of the day, they just probably hacked into their account, got their password, pretending to be that person, and... Yeah, just trying to get your money. So I just want to just make the public aware of that. I'm glad you did, Mark. I appreciate the time. Yep, no problem. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. The world of resale is pretty wild. There's a couple of recent developments that just make you shake your head. So for some of the big, reputable, name-brand retailers, uh, one of the stories I heard was regarding, say, for instance, Canada Goose uh, and their coats, $1,000 parkas. All right. So... 
as opposed to people reselling them, maybe through a Salvation Army thrift store or for a, a, from a consignment shop, now Canada Goose and many other of the big retailers are getting in the resale business. So you send your used parka to them. They put it up on their resale website. They take a cut and then they share it with you. Some of the price points, too, are pretty outrageous. So you can go to that website and buy a used Canada Goose parka that sold originally for 1000 bucks. maybe pick it up for three or four or $500, as opposed to if you're really really thrifty and really want to shop around and be patient before you find the used resale Canada Goose Parker, which you can get maybe at the uh, cost of a hundred bucks. So when you get your cut from Canada Goose, I mean, it's pretty clever marketing and business. So they don't send you any money. They send you a gift card. So they took a profit out of your resale. Then they sold you a gift card, which means you have to go back to Canada Goose to use the gift card. So they got you coming and going. It's a pretty interesting change in the way the resale business is happening. And it's going to be more of it, too, because people look inside their closet and they say, well, I got this bill or that bill looming or the creditors are calling and maybe I don't need a $1,000 parka, so I'll see if I can get some money out of my used clothing. And then they go to Canada Goose. And Canada Goose puts you right back in line at their till with their gift card. So, amazing stuff. Let's go to line number one and say good morning to the chair of Glenn's Helping Hand Foundation. That's Corey Sampson. Good morning, Corey. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. How about you? Great. I just wanted to call in this morning to acknowledge World Diabetes Day. Sure. Um, yeah, so I've I got a son who's uh, three years now since he's been diagnosed. Uh and you know it's been it's been certainly it's been tough uh but we've uh, we're a family that uh, we had great insurance and we were able to consume a lot of the expenses and patty the technology that is out there is amazing but it's only amazing if you can afford it and i guess you know my wife and i you know the the work that we're in and you know we have family members who are dietitians and we have a great support system it, it was it was almost um, you know no no doubt it was a very difficult time for us and still is like there's there's no days off but uh, i can't imagine being a parent with with a child who's a diabetic and not having the uh, the technology or services available for them to be able to uh, to live a healthy and, and happy life you know um, so what we did is we reached out around the province to see uh, who was available to help with us to start our own foundation. Uh, we found out pretty quickly that that wasn't an easy feat to do, but uh, someone put us in contact with these uh, with the beautiful family, uh, the Chapmans, and they've this is going to be their 20th year now uh, servicing the province of Newfoundland Labrador. And I've found out too, you know, I've been on the board for three uh, three years now since Brett was diagnosed. And, you know, we do get the word out there and we've serviced a lot of families, but uh, not, not everyone knows about the foundation. So I, I guess that's why I wanted to call in this morning, just to let people know a little bit about it, for sure. What will people be able to avail of if they reach out to your foundation? What kind yeah, of services great. do you offer? Yeah, uh, again, we're, we're all ran by volunteerism. Uh, we do our own fundraising. Uh, and we we manage uh, the funds and then we take in applications and and uh, there's a process for that as well but uh, yeah this is going to be 20 years now coming up that the foundation's been on the go but in the past they've done everything from you know servicing families with pumps the insulin pumps and I mean I know that that's there's a government program for that now but back in the day when they first came out there wasn't uh, they've done everything from diabetic service dogs, they've helped families with, they've done insulin and medical supplies and things. But uh, 
most recently since I've been involved, there's been a lot of supports with uh, school-aged family, you know, children uh, with the CGM program, so the uh, con- continuous glucose monitoring systems, which we were very pleased to hear that the government had started that pilot project to try and, uh, you know, get more families involved and, and people who are struggling with type 1 diabetes because Patty is an absolute game changer. And, you know, and again, I could go on all all day talking about this stuff because uh, we're living it. And I know the impacts that it has made for our family, for sure. Yeah, it it was certainly a positive move for families who are dealing with pediatric diabetes care for type 1 diabetes. And the program you mentioned is the province on on a pilot project for one year going to cover the entirety of the costs associated with the glucose monitoring, which can cost, my understanding, is hundreds of dollars a month. So very, very helpful move there. So other than that program to make lives easier and more affordable for families, especially when we're talking about children with type 1. What other programs or expansions does the foundation encourage? Well, that, that's that's great that you asked that. We've uh, most recently now we're actually involved with uh, a select number of families in the central region for now as a pilot uh, that the foundation has taken upon themselves to develop uh, emergency diabetic kits. Um, you know what we're doing is working directly with families and, and just to see how this goes and we'll definitely be connecting with government to see uh, you know once we get an evaluation done on this and see how it works but um, we want to have a diabetic emergency kit uh, to give to families for them to give to their children to bring to school so that if anything goes south with regards to their glucose levels uh you know there's something there's something tangible there that they can go to so uh you know the foundation we're looking to you know have some form of a a bag or a tub or whatever that's going to have a diabetic kit on the top of it and so you've got your uh, glucometer in there lancets and strips and and some candies and all that stuff and it's just more or less bringing light to the fact that it's a it's a piece that's needed again three years ago i wouldn't have even known what a glucometer was but uh we uh, we certainly know the need, and and you know it really opened you know our family's eyes to see that you know we we we're living a, a happy, healthy lifestyle with with Brett, but it's because we're able to afford that and then consume those extra uh, you know financial pieces that goes along with being a diabetic, and you know sometimes we might take that for granted and and that everyone's getting these services, but they're not so. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's why we became involved. And again, I, I just got to show it to my young father Brett too, because um, when he was di- when he was diagnosed three years ago, we were we were stressed because he was a pretty you know even a funny kid, you know, happy-go-lucky into all the sports and just a social butterfly. And we were we were really hoping that his personality wouldn't change when he when he was diagnosed, and it hasn't. If anything, he's really even flourished more. Like he's doing interviews with radio shows. He's out advocating, and we. We've after doing uh, an annual mountain bike uh, event every year in our hometown, Peterview, and family and friends come out. And we've we've recently just partnered with uh, the crowd at Exploits Meadows uh, down around in Botwood there, and they did a farm day for us. And it's just amazing the people we've met and the support we've gotten. Like even uh, Grant Sports Excellence have been donating mountain bikes to us to sell tickets on and raise money and all that stuff. And it, it's it's absolutely amazing. And we even have family out in Full Wall and Joe Pat's Arm that do a pig roast for us every year. And you know the proceeds all goes to Brett Stamp. And and again, so what this uh, provincial uh, foundation has done is that they took us on 
our family as almost like an arm from uh, the Glenn's Helping Hand Foundation. So we were able to go out and do all these wonderful things with, and, and don't, you know, not to mention that all these things that we're doing is things that Brett and our family loves to do. So, and in the last three years, our family has been able to, with the support of local business and, and family and friends have been able to raise over $20,000. And that funding then we, we, we brought it to the Glenn's Helping Hands Foundation. And now we're actively involved in decisions on how this money is spent to help families in our province. And I tell you, it, it helps us sleep at night for sure. Bravo. Nicely done. I don't know if this is why today is World Diabetes Day, but I read this earlier this morning as I go through the, the websites that I have the tabs open all the time. It was on this date in 1921, so 102 years ago, Frederick Banting and Charles Best delivered their very first paper on the research they had done at the University of Toronto, trying to come up with what eventually would be known as insulin. So a year earlier, uh, Banting had met a fellow named J.J.R. McLeod, who arranged for Banting to be able to use the physiology labs at the University of, uh, of Toronto. About seven months later, they published in the Journal of Laboratory and Clinical Medicine uh, something called the Internal Secretion of the Pancreas. Six months later, they developed uh, the insulin, went into mass production. By 1923, it was widely available. Banting and McLeod got the Nobel Prize for Medicine. Uh, Best, who was a graduate student, was not included. B- Banting recognized the contribution, shared all his award money, and went forward without a patent. So amazing. I suppose that's why today's World Diabetes Day, is it? Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely, okay. and, and what an amazing story that is too. And I don't know if many know it, but I know that uh, Sir Frederick uh, Banting he pat, he was he, he was in a plane crash, and it was in our own province. That's right. Where, where he uh, where he actually passed, and the plane is still out. Uh, there's there's a little uh, area developed there, and we visited that this summer, and, and such an emotional experience for our family for sure when we got there and. Yeah, just to see that in, in real life and to know that that's because, Patty, I tell you, I've seen these uh, pictures. I don't know if you've seen them going around online. Every time around this time of month, um, and they show the pictures of, of young kids who are diagnosed with diabetes, and there's no hope for them. It's just, a, you know, they're on this diet now, and they're in a hospital room, and, and there's, like, the picture that I'm referring to, there's probably a dozen kids on in beds, and they're on their deathbed. There's no hope for them. And then... They showed another picture in the same slide where there was a little girl who was like on her deathbed, like you know, she 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 wasn't long for the world. And in a matter of the story goes, they put the insulin in the child in the first bed, and and a lot of the kids had already got into a coma, like they they weren't even able to speak or anything. By the time they went and administered the insulin to the last child in the twelfth bed, the person, the kid in the first bed open their eyes and, and was able to. It's just amazing, you know. It is that. Yeah, Banting's plane went down somewhere close by Musgrave Harbour in 1941. Yeah. He was only a young guy, too, somewhere in his 40s. I don't think he was 50 years of age when he died in that plane crash. Uh, good to have you on the show. Corey, keep up the good work. Say hello to the young fellow for me. Yes, will do. Appreciate the time. Take good care of yourself. All right, you too. Bye, Corey. Corey Sampson is the chair of Glenn's Helping Hand Foundation here on World Diabetes Day. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Tom, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Good morning. I wanted to quickly go through a couple of things. Um, Addictions in Newfoundland Labrador are obviously very serious, and we're seeing the consequences of it. And uh, one thing... uh, Dealing with uh, Tina Oliveira, there's 
there's a fundraiser coming up uh, <clears throat> next Tuesday night, which we want to put a shout out for. Her. And uh, but one of the things that she has alluded to is the fact that uh, Ben at one point um, started using um, Ritalin as a as a drug. And I didn't really. Th- I heard her make a comment on your station, and I looked it up, and apparently it is a real thing. So parents need to be aware of that and need to monitor their children's use, like if they are on it, whether or not you know, making sure that they're not selling it and that it's not getting into their the wrong hands. So you know, apparently people, like children can or people in general can crush it up and snort it or even inject it. So it's one of those things that I hadn't really considered before, but something I think people need to be aware of. And the you know the interesting thing or or kind of terrible thing Newfoundland and Labrador you know you can't advertise cigarettes you can't advertise marijuana you know on the on the radio or publicly you know we hide it all away and it's and yet we we do advertise uh, alcohol and 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 gambling you know and every time you turn around there's a picture of someone with a check in front of them and you know and with many Canadians hoping that uh, a lot of wind is going to pay for their retirement. Um, You know, know, it seems very hypocritical that the taxpayer slash government can promote these very destructive habits. Um, I'd like to call on government to uh, just to cease, to cease alcohol advertising and gambling advertising. There's no place for it, and it definitely does more harm than good. Well, and it's a revenue stream, right? And so even when I see a headline that talks about someone here in the province won $100,000 or hit the jackpot or whatever the case may be, while all the, you know, then we talk about the scourge that gambling can be for so many people. Now, some people have the ability to be able to manage it and they, you know, buy a $5 uh, lotto ticket on Wednesday at the gas station or that kind of stuff. Fine and dandy. But we know gambling as an addiction has crushed countless families, whether it be at the VLTs or otherwise. And yes, the uh, Atlantic Lotto Corporation, they expanded their services recently with the casino online. The province here hasn't allowed our our residents to be able to access it. But we get a couple hundred million dollars a year and you, know, you just quietly talk about the problems associated with gambling and all the while they promote it and they reap the rewards. Well, two comments. Actually, Newfoundland Labradorians are now allowed to participate in the uh, online casinos and those things. That's a new thing. Oh, when did that happen? I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's the largest growing part of ALSC's revenue. But, you know, I I think the rule could be something effective. If you're going to put a picture of a couple with a check, you better put a picture with a broken couple who've lost everything right next to them from some gambling uh, challenge. So I I just, you know, it just... It amazes, you know, and then we complain about all, you know, we, we, we complain about all the damage that addiction is doing, and then we're directly feeding into it with our public policy. Crazy. Um, the South Coast Alliance and Doc O'Keefe uh, pushing really hard against the wind turbines, and I'm not in favor or against. It's a complicated issue. However, um, Doc, in particular, who I have a great deal of respect for, so this is, I mean, Doc, don't take this the wrong way, but... You, you know, this, the same criticism is not leveled at, say, Beta Nord, which is 4,900 square kilometers uh, of infrastructure that will go on the ocean floor and, and the incredible damage that would do just because you can't see it. You know, the same thing with trawling, scallop dragging. You know, obviously, Boise Bay, IOC, Valentine Lake, Marathon. Like, you know, you know, we have a huge challenge in this province because 
you know, we've relied on oil and the standard of living in Newfoundland and Labrador, and in particular the government spending, which continues to go up. Uh, you know, this year went up $198 million, mostly because of collective agreements, barring $2.2 billion. Well, if peak oil is 2030, and if in four of the last five years nobody bought any of our lots off in the offshore, uh, you know, the province has a huge challenge, and and all the people who are against development in any way, shape, or form, I understand we don't want to destroy our province. However, it's going to be a pretty empty place uh, with a lot of financial hardship if we don't figure out ways to replace the revenue that's coming in through the door oil revenue. Yeah, you, there's no one industry can replace it in full. Uh, just a side note, the Southwest Coast Alliance rebranded uh, this morning. They're now called Protect NL for folks who are interested. Yeah, and I think I think we all need to have a voice, and I think it's really important, and they're doing really good work to bring attention to it. However, it needs to be tempered with reality, like, like you want roads, you want nurses, you want services. Well, something's got to pay for it. Now, I challenge the government on managing our money better and how they spend it, but but the flip side is, to your point, there's there's nothing replaces oil because it's such a highly profitable industry for the people who work in it, and for the governments that are involved in it, and the oil companies, and the and the and the shareholders who their pension plans own shares in these oil companies. Like it's, I don't know how we ever figure that out, but just to throw that into the conversation. It was over a billion dollars last year to the provincial coffers. That does not include uh, the businesses and the tax base that are directly or indirectly related to the offshore operations. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, last one, very quick, because i got to get to the break, Tom. Well, I, I wanted to counter. So Dan Meads was on with you on Thursday talking about universal basic income. Uh, it's a big conversation. But, but I, you know, he maintained that people will work more because all people work more when they have the opportunity to make a little bit more money. And there are many examples. If you want to do a, a test, I mean, everybody wants to talk about the Dauphin dollars, which were back in the 70s. Well, the culture of Canadians and Newfoundlanders and people probably in general was way different back in the 70s. There was way more stigma about not working or not contributing or not being you know, part of the, the solution. So, you know, I think whether it's CERB or it's the fact that people didn't want to work and you had to drag them basically back to work, the fact that people retired 52, 53, 55 because they can, um, EI being chronic as opposed to being something that's used as a as a, the way it was intended to be, all these are examples of how the danger of giving people money to stay home, especially when you overlay the addictions that unfortunately are rampant in our community. So next time I call, we'll have a deeper dive about that. The conversation regarding basic income was reinvigorated basically because of the CERB. You know, government didn't just pluck $2,000 a month out of thin air. And there's lots of ways for UBI to be constructed where it's not simply a productivity problem gets further exacerbated, less, fewer people, pardon me, will be working. So I think there's a conversation to be had on that front. But I think sometimes we also exaggerate the numbers of people in the province who are fully reliant on social assistance. It's 22,000. You know, I bet you if you had to walk up and down the, uh, the uh, side walk on Water Street and say, how many people do you think are on social assistance in the province? I bet you a more common answer would be like 100,000, but apparently it's 22. So we're talking about the suite of monies and pots of monies and boutique tax cuts that are already in play. Money's going out the door. And so when we squeezed 30 down to six with this most poverty, this most recent poverty reduction plan, there's probably a way to go a step further without having a laziness related problem. And yes, harm reduction strategies has to be part of it and incentives to work has to be part of it. I don't think we have a real great understanding of how it could work, how it has worked in other places, but next time we can do exactly that. Tom, I appreciate your call this morning. 
Take care, everyone. You too. Bye-bye. All right, uh, break time. When we come back, Crown Lance, don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Rodney. You're on the air. Yes, good morning, sir. How are you this morning? Not too bad, thanks. How about yourself? Well, I would be a bit better. I don't use the economy and only when i got a problem. But uh, it's concerning Crown Lands, you know. After a piece of property, uh, when myself and my brother used and maintained for the last 40 years, we had our boat started up there. And I'm trying to get hold of the minister, you know. I mean, leaving several messages, wanting someone to come out and have a look and see what's going on. Um, we applied for a grant to own, and and within 24 hours, uh, I got an email back from uh, Crown Lands and St. John's turned us down, which when I spoke with uh, Cornerbrook, uh, when I spoke with the uh, secretary up there, and she said, no, 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 never, never in God's world will you ever hear back from Crown Lands within 24 hours. Well, I said, ma'am, I did. Uh, also, you know, I, I just don't understand what's going on. You know, uh, we've been we've been trying to uh, we have this piece of property that we've been leasing off the government, and we maintained it for the last 40 years. There's another piece of property on the other side of us, just where the F- biggest fishermen's committee and 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 um, small crafts and harbors infill the property and cribbed it. And, and a gentleman just applied for it two years ago and, and got a grant to own. So he owns that piece of property. And then on the other side of us, there's a piece of property which is granted to own. But two f- local fishermen living in Brigus applied for this piece of property, and we got turned down within 24 hours. There is something going on in Crown Lands, something major. Because every time that we send an application in, all of a sudden it's flagged. So I, I don't understand. I can't get nobody to listen to me. I'm after making several uh, uh, calls to the minister. He did call back, but was we missed it because we're not at a doctor's appointment. But I'm, I'm after leaving that many messages. I don't know where else to turn to. Okay. So, Rodney, did you say that you think you and your brother are immediately red flagged when your names are on an application? Is that what you just said? Yes. Yes, yes sir. Because and I of am what? worried on that. Because of what? Because, because yeah. uh, there was a big project happening out here in Brigus. Now, it's a, it's a good job. Uh, I sat down with council. It was supposed to go back the same way it's come out of, which it never did. There was 18 violation. There was an 18 violation document that was supposed to be followed in the Brigus Harbor, in the Brigus Gut. There was 11 of those failed. There was that many complaints went into DFO about it. They came out and looked at it and said, hmm, "There's nothing we can do with it right now." I, I, had a, I had a gentleman that sent a letter, had got a lawyer in St. John's, and sent a letter of concern to DFO. And in 10 minutes, DFO sent it out to two of their divisions and sent it out to the person who was doing the cribbing and said, this fella is complaining. 
Interesting. Look, there's plain and simple a problem at Crown Lands, period. We take it on and talk about it fairly frequently. We have Greg French on, who's a lawyer out in Clarenville, who's very, very helpful and informative on the issue. Talk to Adam Furlong, the issues he has with Crown Lands, just over a very small parcel of land involving his his farm. So something is patently wrong here. And of course, you say you got a call back from Minister Lovelace. That's one thing. I would also suggest, and you'll do it as you see fit, the opposition critic for Crown Lands is Pleamon Forsey. He's probably a good one to bring into the fold as well. So see what Mr. Force has to say. Maybe he can do something with you. I've, I've been speaking with him too. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. Uh, my liars, uh, I mean, I pay out two or $300 for a liar. My, my liar met with Crown Lands on the 7th. I think it was Thursday or Friday. And anyway, so they knew that, that my liar was going to meet with them in St. John's. He sat down with, 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 with a gentleman in St. John's and, well, well uh, uh, wait now, hold on now. I'm going to have to pass this file to somebody else because I'm not familiar with this. So here I am dishing out two and $300 for an hour, and, and this is what Crown Lands is doing to us. You know, they're, they're, boys, there's something wrong. There's somebody has to open their eyes. There's something wrong. I've been telling the mutual affairs, I've been talking to everybody, but nobody wants to listen. Because the only other way I see to do anything with this is get the CBC or NTV out because something is going on with this government in here. Something. Because what's happening, Briggers out here, should have never happened. Now, okay. you were going to say something, sir. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah, you might be able to get one of the, the television-based networks to come out, but you've just uh, brought your concern to a lot of people here on this program this morning. Uh, anything else you want to say about it, Rodney, before we say goodbye for the news? Um, it's just it's just that all I'm looking for is if be fear. I want I want the grant to own. We've been there for 42 years and we maintained it for 42 years. I, I spoke with my my MHA. She's helping me. I spoke with Ken McDonald. As far as I'm, he's doing something, but I, I just can't seem to get no headway. I, I don't understand why. It's just nobody don't want to believe us, but there's somebody should believe us because what we're telling them is right. And and uh, uh, mafia, there's mafia somewhere. I, I got to be honest, sir. There's mafia somewhere. It, it, what's happening in here? Because if somebody's paying somebody off for 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 what they want, they can get what they want, and they can do what they want, and it's wrong. Uh, like I said, I don't mind giving my number. If anybody want to call me and, and help me out, I'm, I'm, I'm to the point with it. It's not fear. And, and this is the only other way that i got to bring it up to the open line and get NTV or CBC out and do a story. And maybe they'll take and, you and, up you know, on it. Okay. And, and, and also, sir, I don't mean to cut you off, sir. We, 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 we were putting back a cribbing. And, and anyway... We were putting back a cribbing the same way it came out. We, this, this gentleman, he called fisheries, he called environment, he called Depart- DFO, he called whoever he could get. Even blamed us out there for burning Crisu poles. You know, I, I just don't understand. This man got power. He can pay people off. He can do what he wants. And like I said, uh, I had to end up beating the right. cribbing up. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's paying anybody off, but it's unfortunate if you're red-flagged immediately, regardless of the application that you're putting forward, Crown Lands or otherwise. Rodney, keep me in the loop. I appreciate the time. Good luck. Stay in touch. But, but, but can I say one more thing, sir? If you can do it fast. Yeah, 
as I just told you a minute ago, uh, when I spoke with the deputy in 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 in, in Cornerbrook, she told me nobody ever, never ever ever gets a response from Crown Lands within months. She said you cannot, you did not get that back. Well, I said, ma'am, I got it back within 24 hours. So that's telling you something, isn't it? Yeah, then you mentioned that earlier in the call. Yeah, it's unusual. I'll say that to get a return phone call or any communication from Crown Lands in 24 hours. <laughs> Rodney, I'm late for the news. Appreciate this. Well, can I give you my number? Dave has it. We've got it. Okay, yeah. thank you very much. Thanks, sir. Rodney. All right. All right. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's go ahead and take a break for the news. When we come back, the mayor of Lewisport is Krista Freak. She's in the queue, and then plenty of time for you. Don't go away. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number two. Say good morning to the mayor of Lewisport. That's Krista Freak. Good morning, Mayor Freak. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing okay, thank you. How about yourself? Good, thank you. So it's unfortunate when something happens in a community and all of a sudden the community gets the label of X, Y, or Z. In this case, is issues regarding Dr. Ambarak and his uh, child who attends Lewisport Intermediate School. What's the mood in the community? Because this is unwanted attention, I would imagine. Absolutely, and sometimes we have to deal with unwanted attention to bring about change, obviously, or to reflect as a community, so that's kind of where we are. I think uh, most people in the community would have been somewhat shocked to read that Facebook post last week and certainly discouraged, and at the onset, people felt ashamed, I think. That um, tune has changed a little as people are able to reflect and recognize that there's certainly an incident. We don't deny it was an incident. It's not an incident we want in our community, but that Lewisport is not uh, known to you know, known for that. We're generally known to be a welcoming and friendly community, and that's what we want to be on the map, really. So how do you start the conversation as a mayor? Because, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that the story gets this kind of attention because we're talking about the possibility to lose a couple of doctors that have a patient roster of 5,000 people, when in fact, whether it be casual or overt examples of racism, we have to do our best to call it out when we see it. But when it gets attention simply because of uh, the presence of uh, a couple of doctors, it's sort of, you know, I think it kind of tells the tale that, for the most part, many people aren't that concerned with what happens in our communities regarding these things. So your thoughts on the fact that it gets actual national headlines because of the presence of two doctors? Obviously, uh, that that has an impact, and certainly the use of social media, as you know, is, is a lot easier, widespread, and quick to share buttons and quick to make comments. So that's a part of it. The other piece is we all know that every community in Newfoundland and Labrador is struggling with the recruitment and retention of medical doctors. So obviously that piece of the story has gained a great deal of attention as well, which is really unfortunate. I, uh, As I've said before, I certainly, or you would certainly, anybody who's looked at the Facebook post would have seen that Dr. Ambrock and his wife have an outpouring of support, and people have certainly appreciated their service to the community. And uh, he will have to take the opportunity to reflect and uh, determine, I guess, what is next moving. But like I said, as you said, it is very unfortunate. Um, but th- that's where we are, and we'll deal with it as it comes. What's the conversation been like between yourself and the doctors? Uh, I've had very little conversation, actually. Um, I guess most of his conversation has been with school district and school officials. Obviously, that's where the incident took place. From our perspective, we've been responding to the public. 
um, on one side about the fact that this apparent racist incident happened and on the other side that there's a potential loss of two doctors. So we're trying to mitigate those pieces. And as a council, obviously, like any community, we have to sit back, sit back reflect on what's transpired. You know, what is happening in our community? Are there barriers? Are there, is there something we should be doing different? What's our plan of approach uh, moving forward to ensure that we are indeed inclusive and celebrate diversity and are welcoming? Without betraying the privacy of the minor involved, can you tell us what happened in the conversation between yourself, the school, and the district? I have not had any Oh, I thought you said you had. No, I, I did speak to the principal, obviously, and uh, obviously it's a conflict of interest for me, so I'm not able to talk about the school piece. When you talk about crafting a, a message going forward, what does that mean? I think the message, well, it's going to depend on a couple of factors. Well, certainly we want the message to be that, you know, in our efforts to recruit doctors, who would come here to a community as tagged as racist, first of all. So we have to combat that in some way. Um, the other piece is we want to celebrate what we are doing, what we are known for, and to look at all the good things that are happening in our community. And uh, so that's kind of where we are right now. We're still, I'm still trying to uh, decipher all the messages and all the commentary and all the emails and, and determine, you know, what our path forward looks like. I appreciate the time. I know it must be a difficult set of circumstances to deal with as a municipal leader. And when you have more to share about the crafting of the uh, the message and anything else under the sun, even outside of this particular issue, that is, you know, got Lewisport in an unfortunate spotlight this morning. Would you like to say anything else while we have you, Mayor Freak? No, just thank you for the time. And certainly once we have a clearer picture and an approach in place and some things to celebrate, I'll be sure to give you a call. And I'll look forward to it. Thank you for this. Thank you. Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Lewisport Mayor Christopher Freak. Uh, tricky piece of business. I mean, you can only imagine what would happen if the outcome here is that based on our conversations inside the family that they decide to leave Lewisport. Whew, boy, that will have a ripple effect as well. Let's go to line number four. Paul, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you today? Doing okay. How are you doing? Not too bad, but I just wonder now why you guys are playing Christmas music right after Remembrance Day, when I think my opinion is that it's being more out, and I don't understand why you guys can't, like, everybody can't just start playing Christmas music on December month, Christmas season. Uh, number one, it's above my pay grade. Uh, I have nothing to do with programming around here. And I will say this, is that it's a... A complaint that we get uh, every year. Now, some people like it, some people don't. I saw a couple of people applaud the fact that they appreciate the Christmas music and a bit of the uh, uh, uptick in Christmas spirit. But if I'm being honest, I think we started a bit too early, too. Now, I might get in trouble for that, but that's what I think. Yes, because right now I'm starting to miss uh, VOCM. The only time I listen to VOCM now is just at 9 o'clock in the morning until about 2, right? And Because I, I get up in the morning, every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I just sit down with coffee and listen to VOCM. It's my favorite show for years. And it seems like this time of year, I have to, not, you know what I mean, I have to slow down and listen to VOCM until like December month, like December the 1st, when I think that's when Christmas season should start, really. You know? Yeah. I was wondering, like. Well, I, I can't tell you why because I don't know why. But, yeah. you know, at the exact same time, as soon as uh, Halloween w goes away, and maybe there's a gap between the Halloween and Remembrance Day, but if you go shopping yes. now, all the Christmas stuff is out in the stores. It's Christmas in yeah. the mall. So I yes. guess they, they all have the same mindset as to the timing of launching Christmas, whether it be music or decorations or what have you. But, fair ball. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm just wondering. I was wondering if people agree with me or disagree with me on this. I just don't. Just I don't know. Maybe I'm just the only one that thinks. I don't know. But all I know is that I'm starting to miss you guys already. Like I listen to you guys all day long. I am listening to you in the nighttime too when I don't get a chance in the morning to listen to you. And now it's just like I'm missing. I'm missing my station. <laughs> well, you know? let me ask you this before we run out of time. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Oh my God, I don't know. We wish you Merry Christmas. <laughs> Type of, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, I don't know. I think it's too soon for Christmas right after Remembrance Day. And, and, you know, I mean, I think Christmas season is, I think it's December the 1st till, till New Year's type of thing, you know? And not November the 13th or the 12th, right after Remembrance Day till January the 1st or the 2nd. I think it should be on December the 1st, Christmas season, right up till after the New Year. And well, I suppose even the downtown Christmas parade, I believe, is like November 26th this year. So yeah. it comes earlier and earlier. And of course, Christmas music and when people think the Christmas season should or should not begin, I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. You're not alone. Someone just chimed in that they agree with you. And fair enough. I think some people might appreciate it. But that's the trick in the business like ours is that you can't yeah. please them all. And so I can't explain as to why it is the date it is. But uh, I appreciate yeah. your time and your call this morning. Stay in tune okay, and stay you, in thank, touch. Thank you, very much. thank you very much for listening to me. I appreciate it. You have a good day now, sir. You too, Paul. Merry Christmas, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I've got a lot of emails about exactly that. So, yeah. Checking on the Twitter box where VOSM Open Line, you know what to do. Uh, this account says, uh, in quotes, apparent act of racism. Is the mayor, and I assume that's Mayor Freak, is she oblivious to the fact that this was happening for two years? Well, you know, I don't know what the mayor know, knew about the course of the last couple of years, if it was ever brought to her attention, but I made this comment off the top, is when the doctor, Dr. Ambrook, says that, you know, it's been happening for a long time in the school and no one did anything about it until it came to uh, an issue of a physical altercation and a charge laid of assault. So anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about housing. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the leader of the NDP. He's the member for St. John Center. That's Jim Din. Good morning, Jim. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Thank you for having me. No problem. I just wanted to have a little a follow-up to uh, to a conference I attended last week in uh, Halifax, and it was uh, held uh, hosted by the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. And uh, I must say, it was my first uh, time attending uh, this event, and it was quite impressive. Certainly, in the number of people who attended, 1,700 from across the country and uh, from outside the country as well. Uh, if anything else, there was a, the, the one drawback I might say was that there was uh, there was an abundance of choice and um, uh, sessions that made me wish I could clone myself. Uh, but there was so much up there. But I went up there specifically in relation to a number of the topics in dealing with uh, the homelessness uh, issues that we see here, particularly those where we're now witnessing the uh, the, the rise of uh, encampments, tent cities, and uh, and how. Other um, or, um, how other uh, jurisdictions are dealing with it, and uh, some of the approaches that uh, that we that I've noticed, and that my constituents uh, see assistant, and I have noticed that lead that make it difficult to house people. So we're looking for some. Uh, I was looking for some ideas that we could bring back. I went up with a lot more questions, and I guess with then solutions. 
So did you bring back any solutions? Well, I, I think it, there's a few there that struck me. They're small in some ways, but nevertheless, uh, I, I, we uh, attended a session on uh, it's, it's Herb Street uh, encampment, uh, Waterloo. So uh, that, this, or, this area in Waterloo and in others, they built a series of tiny homes, not meant to be permanent, but they're more or less uh, instead of a, as an alternative to the, uh, the, the tent cities that we see where the, they, uh, these, uh, these small homes, usually about 100 square feet, enough for a person to uh, uh, lay down their head, have a small desk, but it's electrified. Uh, it's warm in the wintertime, cool in the summertime. It's, uh, it's, uh, in, it's insulated and air-conditioned. Uh, it has a community center that's set up there in the middle, which allows for uh, everything from uh, social workers um, and support staff to be present, and also for the uh, the people to take care of cooking and so on and so forth, um, and also to build that sense of community. Now, it's to me, it's not it's uh, it's not the long term, uh, but at the same time, it's uh, when I look at the people I've spoken to here, uh, they are adamant that they do not want to go to <clears throat> to the shelter system for a variety of reasons, all of which are uh, legitimate. Uh, this is an option. I was down to the uh, tent city the, outside the colonial building this morning and I was just talking to a few of the people there in the warming tent and what they thought of an idea like that for them it would be a better alternative to tents but obviously in the long run uh, they it's a it's about the long-term uh, housing fix that they and other people are, are seeking I'll throw this out there for the purpose of conversation is you know if we add to the tent encampment some amenities to make it warmer and safer and whatever the case may be. The thought is that nobody thinks that that is the long-term solution, but the problem is, very much like a food bank, all of a sudden it becomes a permanent solution. When it's of no solution whatsoever, it's an addition of some basic amenities to keep yourself from freezing to death. So that would be my only concern here, is that we could not and should not allow for government to think, well, now that things are safer, warmer, better, then now the pressure's off, when in fact the pressure should not come off, because that's not housing. That's a, that's a tent encampment inside a city. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You look around the country, they're dealing with it in different ways. Out in Cranbrook, their council passed a, a, a bylaw that said you had to haul your tents down in the daytime. Then there's other places like Halifax where they've set aside uh, areas that are for this specific use for tents and what have you. The problem therein is until we can find out who's actually got the model or the secret sauce to how we build 10,000 units per year in this province to hit the need, the forecast need of 60,000, then we're just band-aiding this. And that becomes a sometimes a, a relief valve for government when it can't and should not be. Uh, look, I... A hundred and ten percent agree with you on that because I do to my and and I've I've had this when I've been interviewed. I can't believe I'm. I, I would often preface it with I can't believe what I'm about to say. And I would my that would be my one major concern that this uh, that this becomes the the uh, the uh, the solution and not the step towards a permanent solution. I do think down there they you've got the colonial building. I think it uh, if nothing else. I think there should be you should have uh, your housing. Uh, staff or uh, support workers there just to intercede and also to provide a uh, maybe a warming shelter and also for maybe pay the city for the, uh, the reimburse the city for the, uh, the 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 security and keep the bathrooms open but I will be I will definitely say with Patty that I agree that if this is where it ends then no I'll never agree to that the only other thing I, I, I saw up there 
that I took away a few things actually. Uh, they in some places they have rent banks um, for those people who are you know they 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 may be in, in uh, transitioning between jobs or they're uh, going from uh, work to unemployment and they're short or whatever it is. It's a uh, it's a lot uh, a, a um, uh, an interest-free loan that this org- that or- this organization sets out that, that distributes to people to keep them from becoming homelessness. And the other one, I guess, is that uh, sort of a uh, you know. Uh, uh, that does uh, the whole notion of pets. We find an awful, an awful lot of people here trying to find homes with pets, and there, there are some rather creative solutions to that, including a pet resume and pet application. But apart from that, I guess I, we, uh, you know, that that those are the small things. Um, and uh, it's interesting. We had Jeff Olivet, who was the U.S. Interagency Council of Homelessness Executive Director, talk about shelters. And to your point, shelters do not end homelessness. And one thing he noted that in the U.S. and here in Canada too is that the visible homelessness is at levels we haven't seen in quite a while. And I particularly liked his uh, his analogy. I think uh, was quite apt. He compared the uh, right now the housing shortage. It, we've created a deadly game of housing musical. Where basically there are going to be people left out, and I think to your point, that's where we've got to end, find, the, get the solution. But I, by no means, want to see that we become these uh, the the tents that we have now become small um, small homes on a permanent basis. Uh, like in the end, it's and and it's not only about homes; it's about having the supports to make sure people stay housed in the long run. But it was it was a positive conference in that it got the it, it was. Like a lot of this good discussion, a lot of questions I had, and uh, I, I think a lot left me with a lot more questions that I'll go back to. I think the the country and the province misread the housing issue, to be honest with you, over the last number of years. I mean, just look at one of the news stories today. It was about a year ago that the province announced a 40-unit affordable housing apartment complex down in Pleasantville, and now they're just now going to the market to bring in a consultant for design. So that's a clear example to me where they just didn't see it coming the way that it has. It took a couple of tents to be across the street from the Confederation Building to really invigorate a wholesome and fulsome uh, discussion and acknowledgement of the crisis. If you announce it, and it's like a 13 or $18 billion uh, endeavor here, mm-hmm. and it took a year to go get a consultant to design it, so that to me is a distinct it, misread. It, it, look, it's, I think you and I were speaking, not this summer past, the summer before, I think the first time I was starting to actually help people who were uh, choosing to live in Pippi Park, and uh, I can tell you, Lee, before I got into into this role as MHA, I, I we we could see it coming. But I, when I was in this role, and you're trying to help people find housing, and you could see it uh, becoming a it. it it was there. It, the, all the signs were there, and you're right. Like to announce this last year, now now we're we're going to design it. I think is a total misreading. But what it does mean is that there are people out there who are probably a paycheck or two away from finding themselves in that uh, situation. Seniors who are uh, really concerned that they're with their increasing rents, they're going to they're going to find themselves out of a home. And people who are living in tents are they're looking for a safe place to live. But I, I, I if anything else, if, if I'm hoping, I really do believe. I, and I that I that 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 maybe they've seen the error of their ways, but I really hope 
that uh, we, 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 uh, we find a way to treat this as a crisis, call this an emergency, and take the necessary steps to start getting this treated as an emergency like uh, Fiona, Tropical Storm Fiona, and start, uh, and start put, bring, bringing in the resources, the money, and so on and so forth that it need to get the, make, uh, get the housing more affordable. I can tell you my district, land banks, I'm thinking of a, uh, like a land that's available uh, that will be useful, the Grace General Hospital site. Uh, some, another thing I've been after for a while to turn, have that uh, some of that land uh, made available free to organize not-for-profits and organizations like the Cooperative Housing Association of Newfoundland and Labrador. They've got money to build. They don't have money to acquire. So here's an, op- here's an, op- uh, an opportunity to move forward. But, Patty, like you said, uh, two things. Yeah, they, I think this, this caught them off guard, although the warning signs are there. And whatever solutions we come up in the, in the interim, whether it's tiny homes, uh, uh, rent, uh, you know, the rent banks or whatever else, that we start moving toward, towards a more permanent solution. Yeah, and, you know, there's a story out there about the average cost of rent in the country. Now yeah. the average is $2,178 a month, up nine per, almost 10% year over year. What we're also seeing is, you know, people who point fingers of blame at government inaction or short-term rentals like Airbnbs or what have you, but the, the natural churn has been interrupted here. People who are renting and renting towards saving money for a down payment to move into home ownership, now they're sitting put with their rental because of interest rates, possibly. So there's a bunch of contributing factors here. It's not just one thing. There's a bunch of things contributing to the housing issue across the country. But just get a load of this. Vancouver, uh, one bedroom unit, $2,872 on the average. Two bedrooms, $3,777 on the average. <laughs> Imagine living there. Uh, Jim, appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, imagine, you know, a studio apartment in, uh, in East Hastings, $2,200 a month. What? Let's go to line number two. Betty, you're on the air. Oh, good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing well. How about you? Not too bad, my darling. Okay. I just want to call in and say thank you to uh, VOCM for playing the Christmas music. <laughs> okay. It's right since my day and uh, really enjoyed it. When I heard it for the first time this year, I thought, great. The minute I get, leave my house, get in my car, I turn the radio on. Fair enough. And, you know, it's amazing. We talk about some of the biggest issues under the sun, and sometimes it may get some traction, sometimes it doesn't. Since Paul called, I think his name is Paul, about the dislike of the early Christmas music, I got 100 emails. <laughs> some are thumbs up, some are thumbs down. But anyway, I'm glad you enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's wonderful. It's cheerful. It's uh, leading up to Christmas time. And for those of us who celebrate, it's marvelous. Fair enough. Uh, for me, it's just some uh, up beat spirited light-hearted stuff that you know with all of the doom and the gloom and stuff i don't i don't mind it personally but it doesn't bother me one way or the other but i get people's very staunch opinions on it one way or the other but i'm glad you enjoy it betty and i'm glad you called thank you so much patty you're welcome you have a great day you too bye-bye thank you bye-bye uh yeah there you go but you know amazing stuff i remember that there was one day i was away and uh, kerry hotter sat in for me and the issue that struck a chord with so i think almost every caller that day is whether or not they were going to sell beer at the movie studio at the movie theaters uh, that day I was away, I was tuned in a little bit. I was homesick, and it was call after call about that. And some of the massive issues, not really, you know, striking said court for a caller. But anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, general rate application from Newfoundland Power that sees a request by that group, that utility, for 1.5% increase in July 1st, another 5.5% increase the following July. We'll talk about that and whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away. 
Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number five. Say good morning to the member from Mount Pearl Southlands. That's Paul Lane. Paul, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Not too bad. How about you? I'm not doing too bad at all. Patty, uh, I, I wanted to, uh, I guess, just call and have a little chat about the uh, general rate application, or two applications, I guess, by uh, Newfoundland uh, Power to the Public Utilities Board. Um, and uh, I think it's important because, uh, at least in my experience, I know you know the difference, and a lot of people do, but in my experience, some people uh, that I talk to sometimes get confused a little between uh, Newfoundland Hydro and Newfoundland Power, and of course, uh, the application we're talking about here is Newfoundland Power. Uh, Newfoundland Hydro, of course, is responsible for the generation of power, and uh, they do have some distribution, some parts of as well. But Newfoundland Power, of course, is a private company, and it uh, primarily would be responsible for distribution of power from your house once it's generated through Newfoundland Hydro, and they buy the power, I guess, through Newfoundland Hydro. So we will, from time to time, see applications from Newfoundland Hydro looking for increases because the cost of generation goes up. And that's where things like Muskrat Falls would have a big uh, impact. But in this case, this this would have nothing to do really with Muskrat Falls or any generation costs uh, per se. This is more about uh, Newfoundland Power being a private entity which is looking at uh, uh, increasing its rates to consumers. And I do want to give kudos to uh, our consumer advocate, Dennis Brown. I've heard him on with you. I've seen him in the, the news there again today. And he apparently is going to be assembling a team to comb through that application and hopefully make sure that uh, what is being asked for is fair and is uh, reasonable and is necessary. Uh, and I kind of liken it to if you look at your own house, just to try to give sort of an example, you look at your own house. Uh, obviously, if you have a leak in your roof, then your roof needs to be repaired. That's sort of a must-do. But uh, you might look at your house and say, you know what, uh, I'd like to renovate the kitchen. Now, that would be nice to do, but is it necessary? Is it something that needs to be do? Is painting the inside, changing the colors, is that something I'd like to do or something I need to do? So I kind of look at the work that uh, Mr. Brown and his team will be doing to be looking at what it is that Newfoundland Power is saying that, uh, they need to do and to look at it and say you know are these things that are nice to do or are these things that are absolutely need to do can some of these things we hold off or do they have to be done now do we need the cadillac cadillac model uh or you know if, again if you compare it to buying a car uh you know do i need a honda civic or do i need a cadillac and these are the things he'll be doing and and i certainly wish him well in doing that because Newfoundland Power, of course, is making huge returns on investments, huge profits, and we need to make sure that consumers are not getting gouged there. Their profits are certainly not in question. Uh, two point five more, two point five million dollars more this year than last. But this, you know, I think your analogy probably works when you're talking about the application they made for the software upgrades, which is one thing. But if this thing is, is part of the aging infrastructure, preparedness for more frequent and severe storms, the other side of the argument will be. 
if they don't do it and then of course we get what we saw during Dark Canal and a consulting company comes forward and says it was because of deferred maintenance that saw people prolong blackouts or rolling brownouts so that's the evaluation that we have to make it's not whether or not you want a Cadillac because uh, upgraded infrastructure that we rely on and we will be the very first to take Newfoundland power to task if infrastructure fails and if we're living through the blackouts and rolling brownouts and freezing during the winter so I guess that's the evaluation Mr. Brown's concern I think and I can't speak for him is more about whether or not this is all about increased rate of return as opposed to legitimate attention to infrastructure yeah, no, Paddy, you're 100% right, and I and just to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we're not going to be doing maintenance as required or infrastructure as required. Absolutely, those are things that we absolutely have to do. But I guess part of the process is to comb through exactly what it is they're planning on doing, and determine, uh, you know, are all of the things that they're saying needs to be done, are they all necessary? Are they all necessary now? And 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 are they looking at doing things that? perhaps could be done more efficiently more cost effective but they're just taking perhaps the you know the the an easier route some and and a more expensive route and those are the types of things he looks at but you were but, but other than that you're right i mean 100 percent. there are things that are going to be required and in terms of the rate of return uh i went down through the application uh i, I was fairly quickly uh i didn't see it i'd love for mr brown to call in again and to point out if he could if indeed they are looking for an increased return on investment, because I can remember about uh, maybe, I'm going to say three years ago, um, they were about, and we had some protests at the time, and Newfoundland Power were looking at uh, increasing their rate of return, I think it was from 9%, uh, 9.5% uh, return on investment to 10.5% return on investment, or something like that. And, of course, uh, after a lot of protests, they withdraw that, that application. I didn't see that in this particular application, and maybe I missed it, but I'd like right. for, uh, it would be great if Mr. Brown could tell us if they've indeed requested to increase their rate on return. I know they sort of talked about it in their news release about a fair return, but saying getting a right. fair return is not exactly the same as saying we're putting in that application to increase that. And if they are putting in an application to increase the actual percentage, then given where we're to financially as a province where people are with cost of living, I absolutely would be against that, and I hope Mr. Brown speaks against it if it's, if it's true. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Patty. All the very best. Have you, a great day. You too. Bye-bye. It's Paul Lane. He's the member from our Pearl Southlands. Am I going to three here now, David? I'm kind of losing track. Let's go line three. Colin, you're on the air. Morning, Mr. Daly. How are you this morning? Not too bad, I suppose. How about you? Doing good, thanks. Wanted to uh, make some comments on a story that was in yesterday's National Post regarding a trial that's going on in Ottawa with uh, Cameron Ortiz. He was the RCMP's uh, Director General of Intelligence. Yep. There, he's on trial for... Uh, Basically, espionage. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, six or seven charges that he's facing there under various statutes. And uh, reporters have been banned from the courtroom uh, on this trial uh, and they're getting redacted transcripts uh, in piecemeal fashion, fashion. Uh, so the the you know it's, we're not getting the whole picture because the reporters aren't in the courtroom but the, this, the picture that we are getting from his uh, testimony he's testifying in his own defense now uh, starting last week I think uh, it just leaves me 
scratching my head that someone who had one of the top security clearances in the country uh, worked with the RCMP, our national uh, police force. Uh, he had access to all kinds of uh, top secret and sensitive uh, police and intelligence information. Uh, he's testifying in his own defense, and his defense is um, essentially that he's a misunderstood patriot, otherwise known as uh, the January 6th protest- protester defense. It's a pretty tangled... I. I read the story. Uh, so it's talking about luring criminals with some encrypted email service, if I remember correctly. And that company is based in Germany. And they yes. say that everything Ortiz says about this is completely false. But he's painting a very bizarre picture. It's almost too bizarre to even be believable by anybody. I, I mean, I, of course, we're not getting the entire picture painted very clearly because the media is not in the room, even though some of the uh, media outlets have indeed uh, contested it in court and were turned down. So I'm not 100% sure we're getting a very accurate picture of what's happening, but the basics of what I know is completely bizarre. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it just defies reality. <laughs> I, mean, I just can't even... The, the, what's coming out is just so bizarre and so convoluted and just beyond any era of reality to any kind of defense. Uh, and, you know, and I have to stress here, he is presumed innocent until he's proven guilty. And he has the right to, to take the stand in his own defense and, and to put forward any arguments that he, that he or his legal counsel deem uh, relevant. But the question has to be asked here, I think, uh, how is it that somebody who's in such holds such a high position in in um, in our intelligence and police services, and he was a civilian member of the RCMP, how is it that he could do all of this stuff? And he's admitting now that you know, as part of his defense, that he turned this stuff over to to these people, and this was classified uh, information. H- how is it that? He wasn't vetted or, or 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 in the course of doing this. Apparently, uh, the FBI in the United States were were first flagged by by his uh, uh, activities. It wasn't even the RCMP, if I recall correctly. So it wasn't even our own police forces or or our own intelligence services. It was uh, the Americans who who got called called you know. Uh, he was put on their radar screen. Well, that's because that? it, the information got fed into the sharing service that we called Five Eyes. So the Americans no. were first to flag it. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what to say about this, but basically in a, as my answer to your question would be it's just some sort of cockamamie uh, inflated uh, position of self-importance, right? To launch an intelligence mission of his own accord without cooperation with his own uh, law enforcement agency and or CSIS and or the members of the Five Eyes, which of course Canada, the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand. It's just, you know, he got carried away with his own sense of self-importance. You know, and when he's questioned uh, on the stand by the Crown in cross-examination about that very point that you just raised, uh, he has an answer for everything. Well, he couldn't. He couldn't uh, bring it up to the commissioner or the uh, deputy commissioner or anybody else above him in the RCMP because there were moles in the RCMP, according to him. Yeah. Like you know, I, I just someone who's walking around with a top secret security clearance who has the 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 mental processes 
uh, of, of this man who's, who's living in some sort of fantasy world, that he can, he can be walking around with all this information in his head, um, what kind of vetting goes on for these kinds of people to get these positions, uh, you know, where they have these top secret security clearances? What kind of background did he have? What kind of vetting did he go through? And, and when, when he's in that position, what kind of continuous uh, vetting and, and recertification and reevaluation does he have to go through? It's not just him, but, but everybody in, in police and intelligence services in this country. He, there's something seriously wrong with him. You know, I... You know, and I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, mm-hmm. but, but there's something seriously wrong here with him. I'm late for the break, but, the, you know, I won't diagnose him either from afar, but there certainly seems to be some concerns about whether it be self-importance and or some delusions that cause him to go down this particular path. I won't, uh, again, forecast what the outcome will be, but I don't think it's going to work out in Mr. Ortiz's favor. Uh, I appreciate the time this morning, Colin. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. Um, Patty, I just wanted to uh, let people know out there that uh, I guess I got a really uneasy feeling about the last time I got my flu shot together with my sixth COVID shot. So anyway, I uh, decided to go to a walk-in clinic I had a really brutal strep throat, and I was losing my voice and getting quite a lot of pain from it. And while I was there getting a swab done, she said, I can't give you a prescription for it right away till the swab comes back, but uh, are you going to have your flu and COVID shot now? I said, sure. So I took the uh, flu shot in one arm and the sixth COVID shot in the other arm. And I've been getting those shots faithfully because I'm a home care worker and uh, it's required of me, actually, before I can work with any seniors or sick people. So about uh, three days after I got the flu shot in one arm and the sixth COVID shot in the other arm, I started to get chest pain of the heavy-duty kind that sent me right to the ground. I screamed to the top of my lungs. I thought I was having, like, a heart attack. And I couldn't get any control over the pain in my chest on the left side. And another, it went away for a little while. And another 40 minutes later, I took another attack. So what I'm basically saying out there is if there's any vulnerable uh, seniors or people in your family that are going to these clinics to get uh, COVID shots and flu shots together to make sure that they got a loved one with them who can pretty much supervise uh, seniors that are vulnerable and sick or people that are in the hands of home care workers and stuff like that because I never expected that to happen to me. I was shocked and I still am taken off guard by that. Have you gone to your doctor? I have. I went out to the collaborative team and uh, I had to go get the results of the swab back anyway from my strep throat to get a medication for it, which she gave me. And all she said was uh, she's going to send me for an MRI and chest X-ray. And in the meantime, I'm just blown away, Patty. 
I'm blown away. I never took such a serious pain in my chest like that in my life. And then 40 minutes again right after another one. And the only thing different I did was take a, a flu shot and a COVID shot together. I couldn't believe it, by. Has it subsided? Are you okay now? No, it's still a, no, no. It's still an uneasy tightness around my chest since I've had it done. And I don't smoke. So I just wanted people to basically know that, uh, you know, that's what happened to me. And if they got any loved ones that they love or care about and they're going to take them out to these clinics to get looked after for the flu and COVID, to make sure they stay with them and see how they're doing afterwards. And that, you know, some of these seniors are definitely not left alone. They yeah. got a loved one with them. They keep an eye on things, right? Because that's a reaction now that I've had, you know, and my personal experience, which to me was a nightmare, and it still is, because I, I feel uneasy. I kind of am afraid something else is going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, it really took me off guard. Well, anytime we have some sort of uh, health issue that pops up, pain in the chest or otherwise, of course it's unsettling. I have no idea as to why it happened. I'd be curious to hear the next uh, visit with your doctor and the follow-up testing that they do. And I hope you're doing okay, and I appreciate your time. Would you like to say anything else? No, I just want people to know that when it comes to seniors and vulnerable uh, people that are going out uh, to, to these clinics, you know, to get their flu shot and their COVID shot, that it's very important to have some loved one with them to keep an eye on the the person, you know, to make sure that these shots, when they're being injected into our bodies, that everything is okay. Because some of these seniors are really sick. And as you know, the government is telling us, quote unquote, to get these shots to take care of our health, public health department and everything else. And, you know, it's one thing to get the shots, but to be safe afterwards and what really could happen is another story, right? I suppose it is, yes. I think you have to stay at the clinic for, what is it, 15 minutes before they yes. want you to leave? And, right. you know, whether or not people have others permanently in their life day day after day or live with them or keep yes. an eye on them, I guess everyone's different there. But I hope you're That's doing okay, right. and I hope the results yes. of your tests uh, come back in a positive yes. fashion for you, you know what I mean. Yes. I appreciate the time. thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much for uh, letting me share that with the public because I'm sure there are other family members that may uh, or may not experience certain things like that. So it's just for the protecting safety of our loved ones, okay? I appreciate your time, and I wish you well. Thank you very much, Patty. You're welcome. You're Bye-bye. the best. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, let's uh, keep rolling here. Let's go to line number six. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, how are you today, Patty? Well, I'm grand. How about you? Holding on. I hear a lot of stories. Busy man. I am. This is myself trying to, like, work out my apartment. I'm renting from apartments. This is my story. And um, the landlord is not even, like, taking care of any responsibility of her own. Um, I'm after, like, buying, like, um, supplies for the place to, like, um, keep the maintenance, like, normalcy, right? So, um, turns out to be I started with a mildew problem here, but started with a fridge first. Right? I have no fridge, so I paid $195 for a fridge to be repaired because she wouldn't do no repairs, so spent a dime. But two years before that, I got a little creativity in my speech. That's the way I speak. There was a sewage problem here, and one of them plumbers did not put the cap down in between the two walls from the bathroom and the kitchen 
to put the cap down for the sewage like to stop pumping out. After he left the place, when he come back, told him about the cap off, and next thing you know, the landlord didn't clean up the mess in between the walls. It's like two years ago. So then after that, then I first problem there before Christmas of last year, dealing with it over a year, and um, next thing you know, she won't even pay that. So 195 went in for my own cash, where I'm on a little bit of income. I managed to work it out. Right, so I fixed the fan and stuff in the fridge. So that worked out for another couple of months myself. Now, now it's a it's a problem, still like um, it's a new problem, and that's the, um, the motor going in the fridge. And so mentally abuse, I have to unplug it, and I don't even regulate my food food right in the fridge. So it's the regulator in the fridge. So are you so looking? I, are, are you looking for where to turn for some dispute resolution, or what is it that you think yeah, we can help? Yeah, we'll do. I went to my apartment. The floors are bubbling up here soon enough. When when it gets cold, too cold. When the snow like really starts to get here, and the frost starts to really get in, I'm not even going to be able to open the door of the main entrance. I got the mildew going through. It's gone up to my couches, my bedroom, my bed. Gone up to my kitchen table, set in my kitchen. And all my coffee and tables and et cetera. My clothing and everything, fur coats and everything, right? I had like, you know, buy um laundry salt, bounties and everything, right? Um, for myself to like try to save what I can. I got big uh, containers going on here now for storage containers to like put everything in and I've been doing that for like a while now, right? Okay. So I just maintain my own after that. So what I have now for like um, clothing or blankets or anything like that is what I'm left with, right? I got pictures of everything like from my phone of everything like that was deteriorated from my belongings. My jewelry's all gone and everything from the mildew haunted through my place. Dressers and everything are gone right up to the top of the mirrors, right? Just right well, I'm sorry to hear and that. So, hold on. Yeah, so, no, I'm sorry to normal, right? I'm sorry and to I'm hear all of this. I'm in the mildew, and I'm breathing in the sewage here, and it's so <clears throat> disgusting. I'm getting sick, and um, yeah, my 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 friends that comes over, can you sit here and like, yeah, it's gone through my clothing, the smell of the, the sewage. Right. Uh, right. I hear. I, I hear where you're coming from, but the question yeah. is: Are you hoping that I can put you on to somebody for resolution yeah, I'm, here? I'm looking for the, um, the health department or someone to come in here and investigate this, because this place should be condemned. I'm after calling three one one that came in. Right. They went through the plumbing and stuff. They took pictures and stuff. They bring in um, a person um, when they contact the landlord to bring in her own. Um, person for um, the plugs and that, because there's sparks come from the plugs and stuff, so she had to get him to come in and tighten up all the plugs, right? So there's more plugs going on besides that. I'm after contact 311 again. I was talking to an electrician from that from that department. They said if the problem keeps up, call him back. The problem is keeping up, and I'm about to call now because it's the day after um, Remembrance Day holiday for some people because yesterday was close, right? I was sort of like the week before I was talking three one one or the week week and a half before that. Okay, so uh, I got leaks going on. Okay, probably uh, this is all going on. It here sounds terrible. I'm getting sick. Okay, it sounds like a terrible situation. I'm a pay and I pay my heat and light. Understood. Terrible situation. So on top it of it, 
on top of dealing with the city uh, for dispute resolution at large you can also deal with the digital government and service nl that's the provincial body that deals with these things for a homeowner or a landlord to allow their property to be in such awful condition is yeah, she's slumlord she won't pay a cent for nothing which is even ridiculous stove, don't okay. even regularly to even cook if i go to sobeys to buy something daily yeah. right because this is how i gotta live i can't even get a cold drink and put my cold drinks in the mailbox for just save our nice just to pay the, to save on the finances of the daily ice I got to use for my cooler. Okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Uh, Dave is looking up a number that we're going to give to you for another avenue to see if you can't get some help on this front and uh, dispute resolution. So I'm going to put you on hold. David's going to give you the number and uh, let me know how it goes. Okay. You're welcome. Bye bye. All right, Dave, the service NL number, I think, is the best one. All right, let's take a break for the news. Don't go away. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go to line number seven. Peter, you're on the air. Yeah, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Uh, uh, just, uh, I wanted to make a comment on, on uh, I've been living in Burgess now 12 years. I moved from Calgary to Burgess 12 years ago, and uh, I like it. It's a pretty nice uh, community to live in. Uh, I'm a loyal taxpayer here, and I got to know a few people around her. And Rodney is one of the people that I get got to know, and you couldn't ask for a loyal person. He's the fire chief of Burgess. All of his brothers are involved in the fire department. His young fellow's involved in the fire department. Uh, his father worked for the British Council all of his life. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised he can't get that, that land passed on the waterfront down in Brigus, where everybody surrounding him is getting everything passed and done. Um, there's a bit of skullduggery going. You sit back and, and size up the community and see what's on the go here, and you, you can see certain people. You can't bring up names, but certain people are ruling the roost more or less, right? And there's a bit of skullduggery uh, going on somewhere. Uh, something should uh, be done. There's something illegal going on here somewhere, and I agree with them. Uh, without saying any names. He should get Helen Hammer involved in this, I think, because uh, uh, Rodney is, uh, like I say, the fire chief, and he, they done an inquiry on him, and the council try, trying to get him out there, really, and uh, they couldn't find no wrong with him. And it's a person that you can really trust, and he's out there to help anybody that's need of help. And he's in need of help himself now, and someone's trying to put him down. Right. Yeah, I'm going to try and figure it out. So I'm not still 100% sure what exactly he's trying to achieve here. Is he looking to move from leasing the land to he's, simply a transfer of ownership? He, he's trying to buy the piece of crown land like everybody else around him. And it seemed like there's someone stopping him from uh, uh, it. Uh, who, I don't know. We got all of our theories, I know. Uh, but... Uh, Someone, someone is <laughs> someone behind the scene. They're doing something with Crown Lands. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting that he he thinks he's being red flagged immediately when yeah. his name appears on an application. I believe him wholeheartedly. I know the man. 
I believe him wholeheartedly. Uh, he's one of those types of people that'll do anything for anybody. But there's certain people in the community that's bringing down the Mercers. The Mercers got a bad name for some reason. Here they are running the community. His brother is the mayor of the council, right? And they all hate everybody, uh, the Mercers for some reason. There's only a couple of people in the community, and I don't know why they're ruling the community with two people, you know, with a couple of people. It's a strange one, and I yeah. I told him I'd follow up, and I will, and see what I can figure out. I hope you do, maybe because this guy is so honest and true to his word, like being the fire chief and everything, and his background, I can guarantee you, is, is spotless, right? And I knew him since I've been up for 12 years, and he'll bend over backwards for anybody, right? He'll give you his heart, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I think Helen Adenheimer or someone should look into it. Someone should look into it uh, with the government. There's something going on. I can guarantee you. I had the same situation, well, it was 20 odd years ago, with my mother in law getting a piece of brown land. And we wanted to uh, build a cabin on it. And they said, no, we're not giving out. This is up in Brigus, Brigus Junction. And uh, when, when we uh, verified with Buddy, uh, uh, saying uh, certain people that he'd give Crown Land to. We can name off the people that he gave Crown Land to, but he wouldn't give us a piece. So when we said that, he, he sent the map over and pick out a piece of land what he wants. Yeah, so it's called Dogger going on somewhere in the government. Yeah. I'm sure he appreciates your supporters, Forney Peter, and I will have a quick chase on this one, see what I can figure out. Yeah, I hope you do, Patty, because there's something going on. Yeah, and I don't want to mention no names, but right. I, if for me to be a member of this community and sitting back and see what's on the go here, is something on the go. Yeah. Uh, i got to try to get on the council myself and try to figure this out, right? Yeah, I don't know how much council authority would play in here but with a yeah. provincial matter, but I appreciate the, uh, the time and the call this morning, Peter. Anything else quickly before I say goodbye? No, that's fine. Appreciate that's, the time. That's all I got to say. Okay, Thank man. you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Okay, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number eight. Uh, Nick, you're on the air. Hey, hey, Patty. How are you doing? Doing grand. How about you? I'm doing excellent. Now, pardon me, because I'm just getting over bugs. I got a kid with sag, strep, gastro, and everything else uh -oh. the last six weeks. I want, first thing I want to say is shout out to that lady uh, who's suffering with the apartment, because we, we're going through it, too. Between me and my daughter, we got puffers, and it's been the fortune on cold now, Dominican, because and I'm not going to say who they are, but they're, the landlord don't have a clue what she got into, and she bought the house because someone told her it was a good investment, but she don't have a clue how to take care of a house, let alone how to be a landlord. And, and at the end of the day, a great landlord can make your life uh, enjoyable and a bad landlord will kill you. So at the end of the day, there's there's a lot of bad landlords out there looking for stuff, trying to take advantage of people like in in my circumstances, trying to bleed us dry over stupid stuff and taking damage deposits over stuff that out of your control. So I got to say that there's a lot of landlords out there that needs to have a look at that tenant association act, and they need to realize when you get to be a tenant, you can't just get a paycheck you that's that's an investment in the people that you have there as well yeah i mean and the reality is there are 
good landlords, bad landlords, terrific landlords, slum landlords, and at the exact same time, and part of that conversation is there's also it's good tenants and horrible tenants. You got it right. You got it absolutely right, Patty. But I, I was going to say was. Um, now, I won't say who they are on the news because there, there are a few private citizens, business members that like to keep their name private. But I, there are a few people that I used to work with that think you as a patron saint for all the work you do in fundraising. The kids eat smart. I mean, I don't have a lot. Of, I, I'm, you know, working class guy. I got bills to pay. And it breaks my heart. I can't help out because that's such a good cause. And these citizens out there who like to remain nameless because they like to do their work behind the scenes. They speak highly of you. And a few of them have suggested you should be named a patron saint. Uh, because uh, 80% of the calls you take uh, is excellent work. And the 20% of the calls are total full of cow poop and they're they're calling and saying stuff to you that is so ridiculous and you're you're the amount of time you devote to local issues you should be commended because at the end of the day news is becoming crazy and it's it gets worse and worse and worse every day so it's it's nice when local issues are the main storyline especially with the government messing with Facebook and now I can't even see if if the Growlers won a hockey game without having to go through 800 tabs just to find their, their website, like it's, it's it's the world is going to going downhill and not not like uh, not not slowly. It's going fast. People's emotions are on a knife edge. People are angry. There's just so much going on, and uh, I use this phrase every now and then, even with just with local issues and the amount of information coming at all of us all day long, every day, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's well, unmanageable sometimes, but, well, you know, we do the best we can. Hey, Patty, like, now, I'll get to my topic right now. I just want to talk, because I've been, I've long time wanting to call. Like, I'm a big-time listener. Uh, you've got, I used to work security. Uh, and I used to work down in a spot where it was like watching paint dry. And there's been a few times where your show got me through the shift. And uh, like I said, I, your your predecessor hosts the show. He was a good guy too, but you definitely got a lot better because you put up with some stuff that that's ridiculous. But uh, now getting back to my topic. Okay. But um, I called today because I'm I'm resident of Gould. Um, and there's a severe issue with speeding kids, and I would say speeding kids on ATVs and dirt bikes. And I'd like to shout out to RNC Constable Jenkins and RNC Constable uh, Cadigan, uh, the, the media relations uh, constable, or, or I'm not sure what he's, uh, his rank is. Uh, constable Jenkins called me today because I, I made a call last night in because, uh, let's call him a Yahoo, I'm assuming he's probably about 16 years old, was driving a little ATV up and down Doyle's Road. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the area. I am. Um, he drove down by the Wills Elementary, pitch black at night. Um, there was three cars pulled out. I legally pulled out of my driveway. He was down on by the extension. By the time I pulled out of the driveway, he was on top of me. He whipped out into the opposing lane. He whipped in in front of me, whipped around the car, blew through the four-way stop at Doyle's Road. He flew down Doyle's Road, so I went down Dirtle Drive to get away from him. Um, and I, when I got to Shoppers, because, you know, I'm getting over cold, um, so he was there whipping around Bigless Parking Lot, Donuts, Wheelie, standing the bike, coming about 40 kilometers or 50 kilometers an hour faster than he ever should have been. 
He was weaving here and there, and he didn't not like he had padding or nothing. And at the end of the day, like I, I my my family lost an uncle back in the seventies. He was killed on a motorcycle um, in the center of the city. Uh, he got T-bone speeding through a stop sign, and uh, he was killed instantly. So. What I'm saying is, because Constable Jenkins, he says that this has been a major drain on, like, his personal uh, goals with RNC to stop. Like, the goals has always had an issue with kids on bikes. Um, a lot of people I grew up with seemed to be under the impression that you got on the dirt road and you went 60 kilometers an hour. The cops couldn't touch you. So you could do what you like. You take your plate off. They couldn't track your motor down and tell you off. And as Constable Jenkins said, he can't chase those kids on dirt roads because they're dirt roads. They weave and traffic is here, and the roads are terrible as it is. And if you're going 60 kilometers an hour on a dirt bike and you hit a can of coke, you're you're going over the front, and there's no stopping you. Like, I learned to drive. If you crash at 30 kilometers an hour, you're falling out of a building three stories tall. You might not die, but you're in for some clout. And... So I want to I want to shout out to the constable Jenkins and Officer Cadigan as well, or Constable Cadigan as well, because they've made several incentives where they they take videos of kids on dirt bikes antagonizing cops. I'd like to remind all the loved ones out there, grandparents, parents, and kids, you know, speed kills. And just because you think you're a big shot. Listen, that Officer Cadigan said he had a couple kids antagonize him, cutting him off in school elementary parking lot one day. And he had a video, and he put it in the school's group and online. And he stopped in front of him, and he nearly ran him over. And I said, Officer, you're, you're uh, the constable. I said, you're, you're trained to respond with deadly force. If that youngster had pulled out a BB gun... That officer is trained to put you down, whether by car, gun, 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 taser, whatever. And I wouldn't want any any parent to lose their child or their grandchild. And I wouldn't want my daughter, my beautiful four-year-old daughter, run down by some idiot on an ATV because he thinks he's a big shot when all he's doing is he's planning his own funeral. He's going to break his mother heart. So talk with your loved ones. Uh, now it's also it's also a point of point of strife I have that the education system seems to be giving every kid at least a day off every single week for PD days and because Lord knows they only go to school three days a week as it is and teachers got no what? no power anymore. It's not like when you went to school when the nun would slap your hand across the wrist if you looked at her the wrong way or. This and that, not that I condone that kind of action. Yeah, it didn't work. Corporal punishment just made us all saucier. Uh, very quickly, because I do have to get to the break, but even on the ATV issue, speeding around on Doyle's Road or any other bit of pavement, is the tires are simply not designed to interact with the pavement like that. It becomes extremely dangerous simply based on the way the tire is built and the type of rubber used. So whipping around on an ATV on the highway or on Doyle's Road or wherever else on any piece of pavement is also a very bad idea, even yeah. when we're talking about the maneuverability of the rig. Yeah. Uh, last thing, last comment to you, Nick, before yeah. I have to go. Yeah, so, so I thank Constable Jenkins for his work. I want to shout out to emergency department. I've been sick the last few months. My daughter's been sick. These people, them nurses, they're like yourself. 
80% of the people they deal with are irrational, sick, and then there's 20, they make everything worse. You know, if you're going to go to emergency, you know, we're not there to have a laugh. You're not there to make fun, poke fun at nurses and flirt with nurses and security guards. Shut up. Everyone there is miserable. You know, have some courtesy. So them nurses, them doctors, they should be given medals of and bonuses because, Lord, they put up some crazy stuff. And finally, Patty, I just want it for you because I know it's what you're like and I know it's who you cheer for as a hockey team. Go, so take it easy, buddy. Fair enough. Thanks a lot, Nick. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, but how about those haps in overtime? Hey, bye. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's do it. Line number four, Dean, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I guess uh, based on your, your last caller, uh, uh, sounds like your recent beatification. Uh, are you going by St. Patrick uh, II now, or what Patty do? <laughs> I think I'm just going to stick with Patty. <laughs> The uh, reason why I'm calling, actually, to put some context to this, I originally wanted to weigh in on the Christmas music issue. Okay. Uh, but, uh, and, of course, I wanted to take a low-profile pathway, uh, but uh, in sending you uh, a direct message on, on the former Twitter colleagues. But um, I just want to say I'm a, I'm a first-time uh, caller, long-time listener, a really long time. Uh, I've been listening to Open Line since uh, the days of uh, Baz Jameson and Ron Pumphrey, so uh, it's been a long time. I'm, I'm currently a, an expat living in Nova Scotia, so I listen to you on the internet, but uh, I, I certainly value the entertainment value and the, and the information. As my organ grandmother used to say, you know, you're better than the nickel. Um, so, so it's very entertaining, but uh, the reason uh, why I was calling, I just wanted to uh, say that uh, um, I wanted to send you a, uh, a direct message on, on your ex account, but apparently, in order for me to do that, it tells me that I have to pay Mr. Musk thirty dollars a month to get a blue check to send you a direct message. And I, and I thought, wow, it's an open line, and what an opportunity that uh, you know you can have people who don't necessarily want to take a more uh, formal pathway to send you a, a DM kind of thing to, to enter into the conversations. Uh, I'm just wondering, is, is there any other way that you would, like, I heard you mention earlier that you have an email or something, but is there any other way to uh, be able to contact you, like, by direct message or email? Or? Sure. My direct messages are open. I didn't pay for verification, which has restricted some of the things I can or cannot do on the site. He's kind of butchered it, as far as I can tell, and he certainly devalued it. Uh, yeah, but you can send me an email at your leisure. Uh, my work email is openline at vocm.com, and I'm pretty active on it. I try to reply as quick as I can, even though I'm kind of overwhelmed with emails some days. But, yeah, you can send me one there. Uh, I didn't know people were unable to send me a direct message without paying for verification because I can send them out, and I haven't paid. So I don't know what's going on yeah, there. No, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I tried this morning, um, and uh, that's what came up. But to the matter at hand, uh, the... Uh, uh, I know it's uh, been a bit of an issue here about uh, uh, the playing of Christmas music, uh, yeah. and uh, to my surprise, uh, I, I listen to VOCM online in the evenings and the off hours because you know terminal case of insomnia. So uh, you know I appreciate listening to the, the the music, you know the classics and that sort of thing. Uh, and last uh, you know last Monday or yeah Monday evening to my to my horror. To listening to 
Christmas music. Now, I, I have nothing against Christmas music and Christmas season, but uh, it was, uh, and I thought maybe, you know, most radio stations play one or two songs an hour and, and that sort of thing, but uh, this was constant. And, uh, you know, so I just, uh, uh, you know, if you're taking a straw poll on um, you know, the Christmas music too early or not, I'm, I'm definitely in the too early category. December 1st is, is plenty early. And uh, you also asked the other person um, what their favorite uh, Christmas carol was. Yeah. Well, I guess to you, no surprise, uh, mine is Mr. Grinch. And uh, I guess the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, again, I can't tell you how many emails we have with a thumbs up or thumbs down since that original call on the timing of uh, playing a Christmas music here. I guess we're just really jolly, or whoever it is made the decision is really quite jolly. Uh, my favorite Christmas carol is Christmas in Killarney. Yeah, no, you can't go wrong with that. Can't uh, go wrong. If I was actually pick a Christmas instrument, <clears throat> it's not really Christmas, I guess, but it's uh, Fairy Tale New York by Pogues. Fair ball. Which, uh, Sometimes doesn't get playing a lot because of the, the bleeps and such, but uh, I think that's a that's a great song. But uh, thank you for taking my call, and uh, like I say, uh, I appreciate the info on on how to uh, access you, other than by uh, uh, opening myself out to the open line world. And thank you. I appreciate making time for the show and for tuning in from Nova Scotia. Hope you're well, Dean. All right, you take care. You too, pal. Bye bye. All right, there we go. Will I get the 50-50 on here today or we get to the news? 50-50 it is. All right, let's go. Line number two, Executive Director at the Eating Disorder Foundation is Paul Toomey. Paul, you're on the air. Hi, Patty, and I don't want to keep you from the news. So very quickly, uh, tomorrow will be our draw for our final 50-50 sweep of the year. You can get tickets by contacting us here at the office, 709-722-0500. And uh, right now the winner will take home over 800, but I suspect that will climb quite a bit over the next couple of days. And it's our second-last fundraiser for the year, so we'd appreciate hearing from people and uh, get a chance to take home some. Uh, Christmas cash. Christmas cash is what the doctor ordered. Give us the contact uh, coordinates one more time if they want to pick up a 50-50. Okay, you can uh, email us at info at edfnl.ca or you can call us at 709-722-0500. Hope there's a big rush uh, on the tickets here today because of this call, Paul, and good luck with it. Thanks very much, Patty. Appreciate the time. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Are those two callers actually in the queue this morning, David? Let's take a break for the newscast. We'll make a couple of segments left to speak with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune in to Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number one. Francis, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Uh, good, morning. good morning. This is the first time I have ever, ever phoned Open Line or anybody else. But I am just appalled and cringing over what went down in Lewisport. I'm not condemning Lewisport, but there's people like that all over the island, I guess. But we are... <laughs> The friendly people opening our doors to the public always. I mean, and it just gets to me that the people there, probably going church going people, thinking them, themselves Christian, uh, 
you know, I'm not. It's so frustrating because it brings down Newfoundland and Canada, the whole free world, really. There's plenty of it that goes on, and it's really unfortunate. And one of the, I was trying to phrase this the way I intended with the Mayor Christopher Freak, who's the Mayor of Lewisport. You know, it takes a story like this, where the unfortunate reality is two family doctors with 5,000 patients are now considering their future in Lewisport, when what we already know is plenty of these types of incidents take place day in, day out, in various communities, at various schools, various businesses, and social circles all the time. But yet it takes something like a high-profile doctor for it to gain the headlines and have the types of conversations that we should be having. People don't like to talk about awkward things because of that exact reason. But the fact of the matter is it can be extremely detrimental to the entire student body, extremely detrimental to the entire community. And that's unfair because not everyone in Lewisport is even remotely involved in this or feels like that and, and or is not welcoming to Dr. Embarek and or his wife or his daughter. So it's just a, a terrible story, but it takes high-profile people sometimes to even have these conversations. Well, maybe they'll wisen up, you know, and do something about the bullying because this goes on all the time. And the little bullies, are, what do they do to them? They bring them to court. They're not allowed to release their names. And, and then when they get 18 or whatever, it, it's wiped away. They're, they don't have a record. And, I mean, this is a criminal offence. They assaulted the little girl. And it goes on. It went down a couple of years ago with a little boy at, at, I forget the community, but they had to move. People know about it. The teachers knew this was going on. The, the principal must have known it. The other kids knew it. And, and nothing is done. They, they, they get the child to move. I mean... He was a doctor, or he is a doctor. He is a doctor. If he was a garbage collector, it wouldn't matter. You know, he's a human being. I mean, maybe Jesus was black. Who knows? And these parents of these children... Now, I mean, what are they thinking? You know. Well, most everything starts at home. Me that they could be so cruel to a, a child. You know. I do. And get away with it. Yeah, now I guess the story would have got legs and media attention because there was a, a criminal assault charge laid and the investigation continues. But it shouldn't take stuff like this for us to acknowledge that in some corners, in some schools, in some classes, some businesses, it's an ongoing problem that people are just not willing to confront because it's contentious and it's emotional and it's awkward. But those are the exact issues that we need to be able to talk about. Because, again, no matter what we do or say, it's not going away in full, but it's a bit too common as far as we can tell yes it is uh, and they get away with it you know th- these kids and they'll grow up to be bigger bullies and continue it uh, I'm sorry I'm, I'm so upset it's just I was thinking about it all night really it's appalling and it brings down the, the Island, everything. Yeah. We are welcome. I mean, Gander, we took them all in, didn't we? But they were mostly white people. 
Would it happen if they were black? Uh, well, I think it probably would happen the exact same way that it did unfold. And of course, there was flights that landed in Gander from all over the world. So I would imagine it's a pretty mixed collection of air passengers that were welcome, and not only in Gander, but in Stephenville and here in St. John's and other parts of the province. So, yeah, we just, you know, if we want to brand ourselves as welcoming and friendly, let's do it. Let's be it. Let's not yes. just say it. Yes. Let's actually do it. That's right. That's right. I appreciate the call, Francis. I uh, hope you're doing well. I thank you for listening. Anytime. You stay in touch. Okay, bye Francis. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, let's keep rolling here. Line number five, Peter, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning, sir. How are you? Top shelf this morning. How about you? Well, if I was any better, I'd have to give back my MCP card, I suppose. Well, don't be at that. <clears throat> so for what good it does. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm calling this morning to voice my absolute displeasure with every single member of the city of St. John's Council uh, concerning the uh, war memorial on Saturday. Yeah, because they had to move Remembrance Day ceremonies to the Sergeant's Memorial to Garrison Hill. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Patty, it, 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 look, November 11th comes around same time every year. So why couldn't whatever they're messing around with down there be done by then? It, it was absolutely disgusting. Uh, Remembrance Day, the unfortunate part is that Remembrance Day for a lot of people now is just a day off. Um, it, it's a bit different for me. Um, there's a, a memorial at the bottom of Signal Hill that large rock and anchor that's set up to my great-grandmother who lost her four sons in the Second World War. Um, so, it's you know, it, it's an extremely special day for me. And to have to move, there are two national war monuments in Canada, mm -hmm. one in Ottawa and one here. And the morons at City Hall couldn't have it straightened out in time so that the work was done and finished down on Water Street. It's even going to continue into the season next year. I suppose that was always going to be the way. The amount of work that was entertained was going to see Remembrance Day ceremonies unavailable at the War Memorial, which is quite to the displeasure of a lot of folks, I would imagine. Yeah, it, it, you know, and it's not only the War Memorial. Whenever there's construction going on around the city, there's a section of road or, or, or whatever torn up, and then it's left there for four or five days or two weeks or whatever, and then somebody will eventually come back around to it. Why can't they start a project and finish it? Fair enough. I mean, it had a big uh, impact on uh, local businesses. And, of course, the work was going to have to be done if they were going to give it the facelift required and for the installation of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, which I think is also important. But it has come with a cost. If people were emotional and upset like you are about Remembrance Day, there was a cafe that we spoke to the owner on this program weeks or a couple of months ago or whatever the case may be and he's uh, closed his business you know it had a big impact on his foot traffic so it came with implications that's for sure yeah absolutely and you know what like the crowd at city hall listen we are the ones that uh, elect and put you in there 
So if you're going to continue to screw up and not have to worry about any repercussions, uh, you know what, people that are listening, it's time to change it. It's time to change it and put somebody in City Hall who is actually going to listen and and do for the better of the people. Fair enough, Peter. Uh, anything else you want to add this morning? No, that's just about it before uh, our steam starts coming out of my ears. Uh, don't worry about it. Steam is welcomed here. I appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Peter. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, uh, final break of the morning. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Janice, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. Hi. Um, I just would like to make a comment about the situation in Lewisport. Go right ahead. It's not. It's not who it is. It's what it is. Again, Newfoundland is dealing with a serious bullying incident. Apparently, uh, the town of Lewisport has been aware of this child being bullied for the past two years. The fact that her parents are doctors and contributing to their community makes it worse because the province is crying out for doctors. Lewisport, you're shooting yourselves in the foot. I read a comment on Facebook that another new family in Lewisport has been has a son who is being bullied. The young fellow that got attacked last year did not come from a high-profile family. I'm afraid some young person is going to be killed if bullying is not stopped and taken more serious, seriously by families, schools, and communities. I don't know what the town knew, but certainly the school had to know. I mean, these are things that don't happen only in the shadows. I mean, it's not big secrets. The classmates know, the teachers know, administrators know when there's one child being bullied, whether it be racially motivated or otherwise. And this has long been a problem, is what we do, sometimes we do nothing. And other times what we do is we focus in on the victim and try to shield them from the bully as opposed to deal with the person who's uh, creating so much chaos and problem. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I think that uh, that this child is bully. They're experiencing uh, troubles at home and they lash out when they go to school and they take the person who's most vulnerable and, and lash out at them. And, and, you know, any timid child, any child that has issues of their own, that seems to be the target. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, the bullies are the cowards, right? When we are being honest about it, bullies take their strength in knowing that, you know, some of their buddies have, you know, thought that their bully pal is now all of a sudden the cool person because they're mean spirited and they're not afraid of authority and they don't mind telling the teacher or the principal to go to blazes. When in fact, there's nothing cool about that. When bullies are called out, 99 times out of 100, they cower with their tail between their legs and go away, which is why I've long said, if Students and the student body at large would like to see their school be uh, a safer place, a happier place, a more content place where you can actually go and learn and socialize versus put up with the rampant bullying is you have the strength in numbers. They're the minority. You are the majority. And I'm not suggesting that you take them out to the woodshed, but you just tell them in no uncertain terms as the most popular kids were not putting up with it. And then encouraging teachers and principals to do something about it. You know, use your strength. You know, it's always been the go-to uh, model here. Whether we're talking about internal politics or real politics when you have the numbers you can do something about it so if the students at the Lewisport Intermediate Academy want to make sure that this doesn't happen again then you tell your teachers and your administrators you have the majority support of the student body to crack down on it to do something about it as opposed to turn a blind eye and if blind eyes were turned because the child in question is from a 
important or notable family, then that's disgraceful. Because who cares? Oh, my God. It's, it's just so sad, Patty. I, you know, it breaks my heart. And, you know, I, I don't know, like, what, what can, other than, than your suggestion, which I think you're absolutely right, um, I, what, if, what if they had volunteers, like, uh, monitor the hallways and the playgrounds so that they can pinpoint who the bully is and have the school and the families, uh, the, the parents be aware of who they are and and then deal with the situation. Because I'm telling you, if they got problems now with that child, come uh, when they're teenagers, they're, they're going to be crying, I, I tell you, because they're going to have issues with their child, whether it's drugs or alcohol or you know, just being a thief. It's you know the troubles are the troubles are coming for that young young boy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can grow out of it, but the likelihood of you being a so-called nuisance is very, very real. You know, the issue with volunteers or whoever to be monitoring outside the walls of the school, because inside the school, there's pretty good protocols in place. If administrators and teachers really want to be attentive to the safety of their students, they can and should be, but the problem happens sometimes in the parking lot, in the schoolyard, in the playground, or down by the river, where there's very little supervision, if any. I mean, look what we saw at PwC last year, right? A really serious attack, an attempted murder. And you've got to get at this. And I'm going to try to do my level best. To, and this is not directed at you or anybody in particular, but just my own thoughts. I'm going to try to use the word bully less and less because if someone's telling me that your mother dresses you funny or knocks the books out of your hand then I guess we can call that bullying but when we talk about criminal physical assault let's call it what it is it's a crime right it's not being bullied bully doesn't include a punch in the face bully includes making fun of your freckles yeah 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 you're right you're right and um you know eventually I think if if something is not done if this is not something that has to change because if not we're going to have a child killed yet let's hope what's happened last year let's hope that's not the case janice but i understand the sentiment Uh, would you like to add anything else before we say goodbye this morning no thank you sir but i i certainly appreciate your forum to be able to voice your opinion and i'm glad you joined us thank you janice thank you sir you're welcome bye-bye yeah, you know, there's lots of unfortunate uh, ramifications for this particular story. And to be clear, I'm not, I don't know what other people are suggesting, but I'm by no means suggesting that there is a specific to Lewisport problem because that's just patently untrue, right? We know that this happens and it can be very casual racism that we see on display or it can be overt racially motivated attacks. And yes, the place is on a knife's edge. I mean, just look at what we see with uh, protests and counter-protests and some of the commentary here from certain corners regarding immigration and immigration numbers and people talk about the replacement theory and all this stuff. I mean, we've just got to get a handle on it because some of it is outrageous, over the top, and is exaggerating a problem that we really should be able to grapple with, but we don't seem to be that well-equipped to have these required mature conversations about some of the most contentious issues. And again, if you have legitimate questions about security and safety and vetting of immigrants, fair enough, that doesn't make anybody a racist just because they have a question. But you know when you see it, you know when you hear it. 
and we have to be able to call it out. I've got a bunch of notes today. I knew it was coming. I mean, I've been in this chair long enough to be able to predict some of the future. And as soon as you make any comment about it and try to uh, shine a light on what is something that we should not be exposed to as frequently as we are, that we should not be afraid to call out when we see it. And I get a whole bunch of the same stuff, right? Virtue signal and all the rest of it. Is that what people really think of me when they say virtue signaling? Or are you basically just defending what is basically the indefensible? You know, if there was an attack that was based on racial motivations, then can't we all, regardless of who you plan to vote for, regardless of your position in this life, regardless of your socioeconomic status, can't we all agree that that's not good? In fact, it's, it's horrific and we should deal with it? It's not about who's virtuous and who's not. It's not about who's a liberal or a conservative. Like, put the shoe on the other foot then. If there was a child who was attacked simply because they were white or simply because they were a Catholic, wouldn't we all be willing to call that out? Right? When people are targeted for things that they have zero control over, like the color of their skin, their country of origin, regardless of who you are or who you're going to vote for, let's just all agree that that's terrible and maybe we can do better and do more about it. Just a thought. Final check-in on the Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You know what to do. Follow us there. Lots of Christmas music to and fro. Uh, same thing in the email, which is openline at VOCM.com. And big thanks to everyone who supports the program, all of the callers, listeners, emailers, tweeters. You're all right. We will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.